Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive Through right here. What did I say? Drive Three. Drive Through right here on another spring day. Couldn't even get through the intro. The rest of the show, I'm sure, will be just wonderful. I'm your host, <laughs> the great Brian Last. And here he is. The man who doesn't watch the good matches, the man who chose not to watch the best match on the pay-per-view, the man who apparently tried to kidnap Rockicon's kids, Jim Cornette. Yeah. <laughs> That's I forgot. what I've got to say to you today. What? I, I forgot. Someone just put up the clip. I somehow forgot. I remember Petey Williams that she was in the Scott Steiner math video. Yes, yes, she was standing back there when that happened. How did I forget that important fact? Well, because all the attention was on his mathematical capabilities, and he was doing his ciphering, and he's doing his his multiplication tables and et cetera, and, and she was great wallpaper for that program, but nobody actually remembers anything she did herself. She was just in the periphery of things. So that's why she's come out now, and she was sneaking around in the back gathering information on us, spying on people so that she could amass this information for this lawsuit. Your friendship and relationship with Michael Jordan, did this begin when you were working in the Carolinas? No, actually, you know, being from Kentucky, from Louisville here, it's always been a basketball-crazy state for college basketball, and so, you know... I went to a few camps, me and Michael dribbled around a little bit, and we got this idea, hey, this goofy girl wrestler that's going to work for this off-brand B-team company in 20 <laughs> years, we ought to get together and kidnap her children. 20 years? That's Well, this was back in the 80s. Okay. We, it was a long time in the planning, this thing. We had, <laughs> Hey, just getting anything through corporate at Home Depot takes forever. Right. So imagine when me and Michael Jordan and The Rock, thankfully he he signed off on that thing. When we sent the memo to Home Depot that we needed the duct tape and and potentially a you know a trunk or maybe a freezer of some kind to hide people in while we transported them in the white panel van with no windows and Missouri plates. That took a long time to go up the corporate ladder at Home Depot. It, it went all the way to Mr. Depot himself before he finally signed off on it. So what do you do when it's you and Michael Jordan and The Rock and you have this conspiracy? Do you 
go as far as you can before you go to corporate or do you start by going to corporate and then knowing the parameters? No, you got to have a good plan. You got to have a good plan. If you're going to kidnap children, hide them somewhere, that's yet to be determined. Well, again, you're joking around just to throw it in there because people may not. They may be new to the show. No, the we're talking about an actual kidnapping plot involving me, Michael Jordan, The Rock, and Home Depot. And Bank of America. And Bank of and several defunct entities. And I think Robert Blake was, should have been named also. He was heavily involved. Panda Energy. Well, but they're defunct. Dory didn't get named. Terry didn't get named. But several other defuncts got named. Well, let's. You know, uh, if you want to know the the whole story, folks, go to uh, official Jim Cornette on YouTube and just click on what is it, Jim Cornette on being sued by Rocka Khan. Jim what Cornette on defunct. On <laughs> uh, we on defunct. We give up defunct. All right. Anyway, where this is your program today, where yeah. you alluded to earlier that you ranted and raved like a wild crazy person the other day at me for no apparent good reason that's not true at and, all. and i'll have you know i've not had a lot of sleep today we had severe weather again this weekend by the way sunday morning very early in the morning well like just as soon as it was getting daylight we had didn't even have really any severe weather warning necessarily come out or nothing to write home about with what we've had lately and a thunderstorm came through here at the castle for a little while, and it was windy and rainy. Come to find out, there were four tornadoes in the area that nobody, they were just spin-ups that nobody even put warnings out for, within like 15 miles in one direction and 12 miles in the other direction, over close to Hotchkiss. And so that happened. <clears throat> and then they were calling... Uh, they said on the news that uh, we might have severe weather last night, potentially. Not nothing, you know, crazy or anything. Well, I usually leave the TV on in a bedroom with the sound down, but on a local channel if, there's, if they're calling for any type of weather alerts. And that way, either when I roll over, if I hear thunder, whatever, I can keep an eyeball on a screen. And, and sure enough, about three, whatever this morning, I hear a rumble of thunder, and I eyeball, eyeball the screen, and they've got the weather radar up. So I, and then I hear more thunder. I see the lightning coming through the window, and it's looking like there's a giant pink thing on the color radar. So I get my glasses, I get up, I go downstairs where I can turn up the volume and all that stuff. And apparently, just out of nowhere, like an RKO, a thunderstorm with damaging hail developed right across the Ohio River in southern Indiana, crossed over into Pleasure Ridge Park in Shively, with fucking two-inch diameter hail. It was like it was the whole area, and it was moving across the southern part of the county, and went... Um, literally like five miles or less to the south of me, I'm looking out the window and the rain and the wind, it's coming down, but you can hear a little bit of hail, like people throwing rock salt or, or whatever, but not golf ball size that they got in, in the other areas. So it went underneath me, but can you imagine that being pelted from the sky with golf ball size 
pieces of ice falling from miles in the air. There's a people are going to have to be buying roofs and shit. So I've been awake for a while. I don't have time for your foolishness. Is this your excuse for not watching a match? No, I watched the match after I didn't watch the match. Is this your excuse for why you were in a bad mood? I'm assuming why you watched this match. I'm trying to figure out what the catch is going to no, be. No, because I'm just saying don't, don't browbeat me and berate me like you did the other day because I'm not in the mood to... Uh, wait, 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 Brooke, you're... <laughs> what, what did fucking... <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that fucking line was. From. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I'm not in the mood to, it was an English wrestler. I can remember the interview. I'm not in the mood to brook your arrogance, sir. It might, who knows? It might've been a William Regal, but anyway, I'm not in the mood to put up with your shit because the other day, my shit on my own program, we were, re we were reviewing the big backlash pay-per-view and when I said the first match, the first thing that I saw when it was a three-hour-plus program is Bianca Belair and EO Sky, and I knew what the result was going to be, and I wasn't really interested in the issue, and I skipped it to get to the meat of the matter. And you had a conniption fit, as Mama Cornette used to say. Can I add, you're leaving out important details left and right. Well, you give them, give them to me from the left, and then I'll give them to you from the right. This was a match neither one of us was looking forward to seeing. This was a match that on this show, or on one of these shows, you said that you probably weren't going to watch it, and I said I wouldn't blame you. That's why, after I watched this, because it was the opening match, and I wanted And to, then you turned on me! Well, no, you, you, you see, agreed I, with me before! I agreed with you. However, this is the important part. I watched it because it was the opening match, and after I saw it, I said, there's no way Jim could fast forward this. It's too good. I immediately emailed you, watch the match. You chose not to watch the match. I because I told you that I'd already watched this show before I got your email. And then you went absolutely and say you verbally abused me, browbeat oh, me. You were a Doberman pincher, and I was wearing milk bone underwear. <laughs> and you said this is this was the absolute, this was the greatest match of, it was the best match of the night. I did and say I, that, yes. I found that impossible to believe. So just to prove you wrong, I did sit down, and I did watch the entire match, and I will have you know that you were right. <laughs> So what I'm trying to find out now is why. Why was it the match of the night? <laughs> because you said, well, the, it was, the crowd was the story. It was a hot crowd. And I thought, well, yes, it was a hot crowd all night because it was a big show and they've been building this for a long time and they had all their, you know, hometown heroes and local favorites and, and they were jam-packed. But the crowd was specifically hot for this particular match. And not only that, but they booed Bianca Belair, the babyface, out of the building and decided that they were going to get with EO Sky. And it was to the point that it was off. It was even past the old territories 
type of, I mean, there wasn't the same level of heat like we believe everything we see and we want to kill you. But it was past the old territory, yay, boo. Every time Bianca Belair would draw a deep breath well, the people would fucking hoot at her. And every time EO Sky just fucking flipped some sweat at Bianca Belair, it was like it, it, the babies went in the air. What have I missed? What was the Puerto Rican connection? Why did these people decide as it started? It seemed it, it, there wasn't, this wasn't like a gradual thing from the start. They were like, fuck you, Bianca, and let's go EO. What was going on that we missed that would cause that reaction? It could be only one of two things. Either it's just a crowd that decided EO is their person that night for this match, or well, it could be other things, but perhaps something was said in that promo on SmackDown the night before that I don't remember a single thing about, <laughs> but I saw it here in my notes. How did happened. she possibly have offended these? But what did she say? The goddamn hurricane didn't do a good enough job. They ought to come back and finish it. What could you have said? It was like that there was videotape on the fucking Puerto Rico six o'clock news of Bianca Belair mistreating puppies and kittens. It was, it was on purpose. It was like, I, I just, I don't know. It was the first time Bianca's ever had a reaction like that. It's the first time I've, I mean, again, we've seen the Canada U S thing with some, in some, you know, situations, whether it was with Bret Hart and Hart Foundation in the 90s or whatever, but it was, there wasn't a, I mean, I've, I heard the introductions, neither EO nor Bianca is from San Juan. There was no home hometown hero in this. And it was complete. And, and also the thing, well, it was a great match too. And I think part of it was, obviously the people revved them up to do well, but I mean, they they got a chance to work with each other in a way that Bianca has not worked with the uh, some of the other girls that I've seen when I watched her matches because they're not capable of doing the shit that EO was doing. EO is a good worker. Yeah. Which also brings up, I mean, it, when they started, it was the good mat wrestling, tight stuff, good basics. Then when they did the gymnastics, it didn't look hokey because the way that they set it up made sense. They were trying to outdo each other. You did a flip, well, I'll do a better flip. And it, it was like they meant it rather than just the dueling cooperation of the aggressive parkour and the facials on both girls and the way that they made it look like a struggle. And even EO did the old Ricky Gibson handstand knee drop that I haven't seen in 40 years out of a baby face. She was a baby face for the night. But that's the thing is that, again, if Bianca can wrestle like this and her basics are this strong, but most of the other girls don't have any at all or they don't do this, she doesn't get to show them. And I will admit, again, that EO, I didn't believe. I would have never dreamed by looking at her that she could have a match like that. But therein lies the problem of how the water has been muddied. It's not being racist against Japanese women wrestlers to say that 
there's a lot of them that have given the good ones a bad name by either the AEW outlaw of indie, not even indie girls from Japan being brought in and shoved down people's throat and it's ridiculous, or the presentation, in my opinion, in the WWE of old Asuka and whoever with the constipation promo and whatever the fuck, it's a little ridiculous. But if you took this girl, EO, and you put her in a tag team with another legitimately good female wrestler that was in, in contrast to her, had the size where EO doesn't have the height and maybe had a rougher look or something or other, then you could have a top tag team because the girl can work. But as far as EO, then some people are going to say, well, why can't EO Sky be against Charlotte or Becky or whoever the fuck? Because EO Sky, I will compare in this instance to Bobby Eaton. So everybody knows that I'm not shitting on her. Because if I'm going to compare somebody to Bobby Eaton, it's in a good way. Bobby was in the best tag team in the world. And Bobby was a wrestler in the ring that even Ric Flair looked up to. But Bobby should have never been, and never was, the individual single world heavyweight champion. Because he didn't have the body and the promo to go with the immense in-ring talent. And that's why the tag team sued his strengths and somewhat hit his weaknesses with either a tag team or a manager. And that's the way that you use somebody who's an amazing worker, but isn't visually nor presentation-wise ever going to be a top single. So there you have that. The only bad thing that I did, I, if they hadn't had a match worked out and if they were further along or in another system where they had been, because I'm pretty sure Bianca never trained with Rip Rogers, so she don't know how to call it in a ring. She came along much after OVW. If they could have changed the matchup that they had because it didn't make sense when the people were so obviously behind EO and not, I'm not saying Bianca should have started gouging eyeballs and pulling out foreign objects and working like the Sheik, but they could have changed things up before they got to where they needed to go and fed the people's interest a little better. Don't you think? Change rather it up in than, what way? Rather, well, it, it, every, I mean, I'd have to sit here and watch it with you. Cause to, to me over everything, but every, Every time, like the yay boo, the big yay boo that they had in the middle, right? Where they started out on their knees and, a, and the people were really with it. But Bianca won the exchange with a backbreaker. And instead of a big yay, I got a big oh. Little things like that. The nominal baby face for the evening could have come out on top of a few of those exchanges and gotten bigger pops from the people as they were doing it anyway. And it wouldn't have changed the result or even the concept of the match they would just slowly switch it a little bit in midstream if they were calling it on the fly where 
Well, remember Michaels did that with who? Or or no, it was Rock and no Michaels oversold for Hogan. It was Rock and Hogan in Toronto. They changed their shit up a little bit. And the way that each person reacted, EO could have milked people a little bit more. Bianca could have got a few more, oh shit, what the fuck's happening looks on her face and just changed the dynamic of the match. But they did the same match they had worked out because they all work out matches now. Even with the, I mean, Bianca visually, facially acknowledged that people were shitting on her, but, you know, there wasn't any change of the match. I think um, Bianca does an excellent job of making, I mean, she did it maybe better than ever before here, of making a match look like an athletic competition that she's yeah. struggling in. You know, this is the first time that I can remember, if I've seen it before, I just don't remember it off the top of my head, where her long ponytail got messed up a little bit. It wasn't so neat. It looked like someone had been in a fight. You know what I mean? Like it was strands of it that were kind of loose. Yeah. It was like shit. Well, and that was, the, they really struggled and they had nice false finishes going in. And then they did the multiple back and forth. And when EO did the, the, the moonsault off the top to the floor again, I have to call it cause I call it on other people, including hangnail page. She didn't look to make sure the girl was back there. Uh, but at least she rolled her in and tried to beat her after that. And right there, it had been such a good match. I wrote, I get the feeling that they should go now. And son of a gun, that's where they started apparently going into their sequence because remember Bianca, EO tried to Hurricane Rana, Bianca off the top, and Bianca yeah, caught her. Yeah, that was great. And there was a sit-up and tried to do a sit-up, and boom, and finally she hits the power bomb. Big pop on a huge, uh, on a or a big pop, rather, on a two-count. And then I wrote, okay, they have to be going. And then here came Bailey and Dakota Kai. And at that point... I, it, when they had the tug of war with the hair, that's one of the places it probably got messed up. And Bianca picked Sky up in the uh, fireman's carry for a finish. She nails Kai off the apron with her feet. And then EO rolled her up for a two count. As soon as they come up, Bianca pulls Bailey in. <laughs> and did you see? It just grabbed her and try. It looks like she was trying to throw her out of the ring for a shoot, but like she didn't know how. And Bailey's <laughs> like, "Where are you trying to fucking put me?" That was a little and awkward. She, <laughs> she threw her out, I think, under the bottom rope. I was like, "What the fuck?" But she goes back to EO, and that's where Dakota Kyle nail, nails Bianca in the head with a kick, and then EO misses a moonsault, and Bianca hits her finish one, two, three. So they went the back and forth stuff, but. It was set up to be a heat, try to be a heel fuck finish. The people again were not necessarily popping on the right things because they, I think they wanted Bailey and Dakota Kai to succeed in their malicious endeavors. But then finally, after the thing was over with, they cheered everybody because it was such a good match. But you could tell they would have preferred to see an upset there. But yeah, it was. It, it, not only was the crowd hot for wrestling and for the show being there, but the crowd was hot for this match and they did a wonderful job in it. So I'm hold on, wait a minute. Where's my ding-a-ling? 
Whoops. That's your ding a Short and to the point. Yeah. I think I think my battery's running down there. Why you got my battery run down so low there, Ron? I hope you get some batteries for your dingling. Excellent match. Bianca, I always I've been saying it to you since NXT. You know, Rhea is one of my very favorites, and Rhea is, you know, it's so early in her career, but I think maybe the best we've ever seen. I mean, we'll see how things work out. She's just so good right now. Bianca's not that far off. Now, the booking and who she works with, maybe that's part of why. You don't see her the same way, but she's had big matches that you've loved. Well, I th- I think, p- p- well, just hold on a second. I think part of it is she's always so happy and smiling and skippy and twirling and smiling. And the promos, in, in many cases, she's trying to do the catty remarks that they script for everybody. I know catty, whether men or women, uh, it's just, it's juvenile type insults and banter back and forth with the people they're supposed to be mad at. I think Ripley has the advantage because she's got that look and she can just say, you know, fuck you. And Charlotte has somewhat of the arrogance that she has, you know, but I don't like the fucking happy, skippy, peppy girls that are just trying to be snotty with each other. It, it's, eh. but you know what? Look at it this way. Rhea Ripley, from everything I know about her, I believe was a fan as a kid who at a very young age became a wrestler and she at this point has excelled at what she does. Very similar to MJF, I guess, in a lot of ways. I believe Bianca was an actual athlete who WWE scouted and signed. Yes, she went to University of Tennessee. So the idea that, well, I guess, so my point is, I think she is probably as good as you could be right now considering all she knows from pro wrestling is, here's your script. Here are your lines. Here's what you're supposed to do. She's got the matches down. You know, you can work with the other stuff if you can get the matches down. She can wrestle, and she can make it look like a real fight. And her matches are really good. But again, she came up through that system. So, as opposed to some of... you're, You're probably right in that she's never... But hopefully somebody has... Well, but... What old tapes do they tell the girls to watch? I was going to say she's never been in any other system and she's never seen wrestling presented as wrestling rather than sports entertainment. I agree with that. I uh, acquiesce to that. What tapes, I wonder, do they tell the girls to watch from the territory days? Because there were no girls in the territory days. But at the same time... How do you understand the real wrestling business and the passion and emotion and believability aspect unless you watch the territories? And who's there that's going to make the proper recommendations? I mean, there's a lot of questions you could ask about that. Well, no, there, there's a bunch of ex-in-ring guys that I'm sure they're, they're, they watch 80s guys. So if the if they're showing that's a good maybe somebody that's been in the program or one of our little birds that twinkles at our ears from time to time can tell us hey oh jesus can't hear now my tinnitus is setting in maybe they can tell us what from the 80s they have the girls in NXT watching that would be the equivalent of what the guys watch in terms of the 80s tag teams in the WWF or the 80s 
NWA or Flair or Hogan or Piper, whoever the fuck, because if they're just showing them all Japan women, and that may be great athletically, but that doesn't teach you anything about working, having an American-style match, doing promos, do the girls watch the guys from the territories, or do they just not? I don't know. And then with EO, I think EO's really talented. I liked her in NXT. This is obviously the best thing I've ever seen her in. This was fantastic. And for all the matches you and I sit through, on AEW specifically, but on Raw and SmackDown, the women's matches with silent crowds. It's crazy when you see it yeah. like this. Yeah. <laughs> Just crazy. And I understand your point of view. I don't necessarily yeah, the, agree. The, 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 only, the only reason I would want that crowd in Puerto Rico to sit on their hands is if they had knives in them. They were fucking hot. But when it comes to EO, I understand where you come from. I don't completely agree with, you know, because AEW specifically, I mean, beyond the Asuka promos, but AEW has kind of wheeled out from the very beginning of their promotion. It's just been ridiculous. I mean, the first two people you were exposed to were Riho, who's dressed like a tiny princess, and Emi Sakura, who thought she was Freddie Mercury. With a mustache. Just to remind everybody, it's been a couple of years now. She came to the ring with a mic stand in a Freddie Mercury outfit with a mustache. But I guess the thing I would stress to you is that it's not Japanese-specific. Because no, it's 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 what is being portrayed to our American audience as what Japanese wrestlers are they think are or they want them to believe or whatever the fuck. And as a result, that's why I see everybody rolling their eyes every time I see one. If these people in Des Moines or in Colorado have not spent, uh, you know, their formative years watching all Japan women tapes and to know that, th that there's a difference. So again, it's what you are taught and led to believe that some, if, if every time you drove, if you drove 500 miles down the interstate and every time you stopped to get something to eat, and you went to a burger place, whether it be Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, Five Guys, on and on, every single one of them was a shits, then how many more times would you want to go to a burger place or would you just turn up your nose at all the burgers? Probably. Well, there you go. But I guess that's my point. If you really look at it, it's beyond just the Japanese women. It's every woman who debuts on wrestling. There are very few who debut and look like fully formed wrestlers. I don't even mean like size-wise, <laughs> just like not like a little princess or something or wearing a mustache to the ring, things like that. But there are more goofy... See, I think the problem is, and what makes Rhea and Bianca stand out, to take it beyond just the Japanese women in wrestling uh, domestically, is that there are certain people that stand out like they treat it the way you want to see it treated. You believe in them. It's not like, I watched wrestling. I watched the Bellas, and... I always wanted to do something like that, and now I have this character, and I bop to the ring. There's yeah. too much and, of and, that. And they're concentrating more on what they're wearing and how they look in the pre-tape and delivering their scripted verbiage in an overly, dramatically, obviously acting-ish way than actually being who they're supposed to be and working on their in-ring and 
being wrestlers instead of budding reality TV stars. Like, can you think of anyone in AEW? I mean, maybe, maybe Hater, and I'm only judging that based on what I've seen of her wrestling people in AEW. We haven't seen much of her at all lately, have you? She hurt too. What big baby faced her and to give her the belt? Now she's like still second fiddle to Brit. I don't understand how this happened. But oh, that's right, she's still the champion, one of the champions. The match that EO and Bianca had. Could you actually see anyone on the AEW roster having that kind of match? No, no, not AEW at all. women's roster, obviously. No, well, I, yeah. you didn't need to really <laughs> narrow that. If you take Danielson out and and maybe you know FTR's on vacation, then it still works. <laughs> all right, so you rank it high. I guess we'll. I'll yeah, I rank that shit high. I put that shit on everything. All right, well, that was the positive review, surprisingly, I'm surprised, of EO Sky versus Bianca Belair at Backlash in San Juan. The next night, Jim, a dark night for professional wrestling. <laughs> and after this, we'll get questions, but let's talk about another, yet another, WWE Raw. Well, and, and it, it won't, I say this a lot, but in this case, I really mean it. It won't take long. We're, ju we're just going <laughs> to talk about the meat of the matter. Um, and boy, now, what a difference a couple hundred miles makes. Well, I guess it's, they were all the way up in Jacksonville. So I guess it was 400 miles probably, but they go from San Juan to Jacksonville, Florida, and the people were polite, but after seeing again, uh, you know, an old time looking wrestling arena full of people like they used to be instead of the arena lit up and half the thing taken up by giant stage and game show set we come back to reality this was raw for may the 9th honestly or no may the 8th i'm sorry the day may after the backlash may the i said that i caught myself you don't need you know it all don't start on me again again will you stop again like you did on the uh, the other program here anyway they opened up with Cody, and Cody obviously is the story here, and, and the story's going to get even more complicated. But they showed the highlights of the match with Brock in black and white when Brock was covered in blood. And by the way, by the way, did you see that it has been reported that it was intentional where Brock headbutted the, uh, the turnbuckle? Is that so? I mean, how hard is that to do? Let me just stop you. The idea that. I'm absolutely going to get hard way. You can never really predict how much blood you're going to get or if it's going to work, right? Well, no, but here's the thing. He had he had scouted it out and if you go back and look when the buckle or when the pad comes off the buckle, there is a screw that you can see without I'm trying to figure out how to explain this without a visual illustration here, but there's a screw that goes through there. You saw that there was a screw on the top and you had to figure because it wasn't just blunt. There was an edge. So you had to figure that if he hit it hard enough with his forehead, that it was probably going to get some color some way <laughs> because the, the forehead if you hit a sharp object, since that's where your bone is, it's going to cut it because there's no, there's not that much room for the flesh to move around. Whereas on your cheek, 
there's a lot of room for the flesh to move around, which is why that when you get busted open hard way in the cheek, the cheekbone cuts from the inside out because the cheekbone feel under your eye. Cheekbone is sharp, but the skin moves around all over the place, right? Right. So when you get hit there, and I speak from experience, 21 stitches from Bill Dundee one night in Memphis. The doctor said, yeah, your cheekbone cut from the inside out. Said so put, I think, eight underneath and 13 on top or whatever. But if you go at it, the worst thing you're going to do is you're going to gouge, the worst thing is you're going to gouge yourself open in your forehead from that fucking edge of that screw. It's not something that I'd particularly want to do. Maybe, of course, now, since it's Brock and he's getting, what, maybe $1.5 million for that match, I might headbutt a goddamn screw on the wall for one and a half million dollars. That seems like a Brock thing, though. Like, do you want to get color? Yeah. No, I'm going to do it the real way. <laughs> well, yeah, well, but uh, hold on, I'll address that. But the only thing is, I think, if anything, he might have wanted to do it farther up high because it was disturbingly in between his, his uh, right up above his nose, in between his eyes. And I think he probably would have preferred to do it a couple inches farther up, but if he was going to do it on purpose. But nevertheless, the stupid thing, again... The stupid thing is that they're not using the blade. They've banned the blade, and they want to be able to tell their sponsors that, the, no, this is not self-inflicted, um, you know, self-mutilation or whatever they fucking call it. So now they've got guys who say, fuck it, I'll just headbutt the fucking ring post or the fucking buckle or the stairs or whatever. God damn it. Just fucking use the blade and tell him you didn't. Brett used to do it. It worked with Vince. It ought to work with Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, for fuck's sake. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Anyway, good hard way from Brock. Good hard way. Yet I tell you what. The old timers would have been proud. As Sputnik Monroe or Ron Wright. That is like a chisel. That it basically is like running into the chisel. Well, no, because the chisel was more controlled than this. That's true. That's true. Because it was a... But now we got to tell everybody what the chisel is. If you just joined us, folks, Ron Wright in East Tennessee in the old days, make sure the people believed his shit, went to a metal worker and had a set of knuckles fabricated with the edge, the sharpened edge of a chisel on a flat piece of metal that he could then tape up and look like the knucks you use in the ring. And when he popped you with it, you didn't need to worry about using a blade. You got juice. But that was still, it was a, it was a very sharp surface, but a controlled depth. He had not only put, he only had the edge of it attached to the metal, but then he had taped it so it couldn't go in too far, right? And and he was hitting you in a specific place with it rather than you just launching yourself head first and can't really see because you're going 100 miles an hour and hoping for the best. So the chisel was more controlled than this. And remember a while back when, when Brock and Orton and, and Brock elbowed Orton and opened him up by gentleman's agreement beforehand. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And Jericho went crazy because yeah. he didn't know about it being arranged. Yeah, and almost fought Brock when it probably wouldn't have got fucking Brock was, I'm sure, so surprised, like, you fucking idiot. You think I did this on purpose? 
that he didn't fucking do anything till it was explained. Then I think didn't Brock headbutt the ring post here a few years ago. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that was a, that was a mad dog buzz Sawyer thing to do also, which explains a lot about him because he didn't just do it for a million dollars once in a while. He did it nightly on fucking spot shows. But anyway, the point is we have decided that we would now not only tell everybody how that the blood is done, but even when people are good enough to do it without anybody seeing it or knowing how it was done, then they still feel they have to admit it. So it's better to just bash our own heads into fucking sharp metal shit or hit each other real hard. You fucking morons. Tell goddamn your local sponsor that, oh gosh, it was an accident. It ain't ballet. Shit happens. Beautiful, stylish flooring. There's a place here in Louisville that has a TV commercial called River City Flooring. Here is their entire jingle. River City Flooring, it's River City Flooring. Beautiful, stylish flooring. How much do you think they paid for that? Too much. So, are we going back to Raw now? You know, we were talking about Cody's promo. I don't even think we started yeah. talking about it. Well, because they showed the Brock highlights in black and white, and it got me off on a tangent. And Jacksonville, Florida loves him, some Cody Rhodes. And, of course, he talked about beating Brock at Backlash and what's next is the world heavyweight title. And he left the ring and went up to the belt on the stage and he fired the people up and he convinced him he's going to do his best to win this thing. And he said, let the tournament begin. And in here comes the music of Seth Franklin Rollins and they do their face-to-face. And then Franklin danced to the ring for our first triple threat match. And this one. If I would stop you, the Cody promo, what did you think of it? And first of all, what did you think of the reaction in Jackson? Well, I thought you were rushing me. I thought you were rushing me through it. No, not at all. Um, Well, it again, he's got the people listening to him and it's florida i know in the Rhodes family but still that's been a long time he his promo's good on its own and he's got the i've said it before i said it in aew it just comes off so much better here for all the reasons we've talked about the difference in presentation and etc he doesn't have dusty's voice but he's got dusty's it i hear dusty if dusty used big words more clearly i hear dusty in the whether it's the inflection or just the way he goes about it i don't know what but uh but no it was again you would be convinced that now this guy he's past brock lester he's beaten him and he's going on to bigger and better things see i had a sneaky suspicion something was going to happen because of all of a sudden in the promo when he said forget the way he phrased it but tonight i'm gonna you know finally capture the or be on the road to capturing the world title he was indicating that the new belt was his goal I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of think you can't say I'm going to win the belt for my daddy and then you never win it. It's like, well, now I'm going to win this belt for my daddy. Well, but I, I'm pretty sure they probably made him uh, say that this world title is his goal. They don't want... If I was Cody, I would have wanted to wanted to Wefwins. I would have wanted to be interviewed by Baba Wawa. 
I would have wanted to reference Roman Reigns. See, <laughs> wanted to reference Roman Reigns is not a thing you can just do at the top of your tip top of your game there. Anyway, I would have wanted to say something about Roman if I was Cody. But he he ha he didn't, and I think that's probably because they're thinking don't bring that up because people are kind of pissed already. But again, as we will see, they they're going to love the chase. We hope. We'll see. But uh, the, again, the triple threat match that was on first was Seth and Priest and and Shaky, and. From the, the two matches that were given, you would think that it would be Cody and Seth again in the, you know, winner's match later on for the main event. However, this match, the triple threat, uh, 23 minutes into the show, by the way, before they rang the bell for this thing, for the first match. And I will say again, Priest really is looking great physically. I think he's even dropped some weight. He's elevated himself recently in terms of not only his work, but his promos. He's got the size. He has a actual a grown adult male voice. You know, of course, as soon as they opened up at 100 miles an hour, he took a knee in the back and went to the floor and wasn't seen again for like a minute because they have to... That was... That was the thing. This and they went to the break in two minutes. By the way, well, that's every triple threat match, isn't it? You well, have that's, to go that's, disappear for a while. That's every match and every every match they go to the break in two minutes and every triple threat match you have to disappear. And that's the thing. There's there was nothing about you know. I I think shaky. Honestly, I think his his offense is shaky. The kicks it looks awkward. I'm not getting him. I'm not. I just don't see it. Nakamura, you're referring to. Nakamura, old shaky Nakamura. But you can't really summarize this match. There were two baby faces and one heel, so they didn't even have that going for them, that it could be a, you know, a one baby face fighting against the odds, and it was guys doing moves to each other nonstop. And then finally, Nakamura got the ankle lock on Priest, but Seth splashed Nakamura off the top rope, and then... Then shit-canned Priest, but then had to pull Shaky up for the pedigree. He just hit him with a splash off the top, looked like he came 20 feet in the air, and that couldn't be the finish. He pulled him up, then he hit him with a pedigree, and then he beat him. So they actually got an eight-minute uninterrupted segment to have a match, but it was a three-way match, but it was just, it was moves. And then Seth won, as we kind of figured in this instance, would happen. Wasn't anything wrong with it. It was, you know, it was just there. I agree. I mean, it was fine for what it was. I'm not a big three-way match fan, as I've talked about in the past. I did have the moment watching this where I thought, you know, it would be an interesting swerve. I hate to use that word, but swerve on everyone's expectations to have Damian Priest win. Something to get him over the Bad Bunny lost the night before. Yeah. But obviously, Seth right now, there is a moment. I don't like it. But fans love singing his song while he stands in the shadows. <laughs> or in the spotlight, I guess, while they're in the shadows. So they're gonna Or the other way, or have you seen your mother, baby, standing in the shadows? One of the more underrated Rolling Stone songs, if I say so myself, but Thank you. Uh, well, you didn't write it. What do you mean, thank you? <laughs> hey, I, I'll, I'll get a credit on it because I'm re-releasing it on Featherbottom Records. Someone get Andrew Lug Oldham on the phone. I got a complaint, but 
okay for what hey, it was. Hey, I've got Saul Zance's lawyer on speed dial, so. Well, Zance can't dance. But, but he'll I'm, steal your money. <laughs> we're going to out-reference each other all show. I can see it already. All right for what it was. And like you said, everyone at this point figured you're going to get the main event of Seth Rollins versus Cody. It'll probably be a really good match. But that was what you were expecting at this point. But now for what we didn't expect. Because the next triple threat match was Cody Rhodes versus Finn Balor versus The Miz. And... Can you explain why The Miz is in a, a six-man competition here for a shot at the world title when he has been beaten by every man, woman, and child, animal, vegetable, mineral, scrub woman, Jiffy Lube attendee? Has he won a match in that we've seen in months? Everybody beats him up and quickly, right? I can't remember the last match he's won, but more importantly, I feel like the last several times at least that we've seen him on TV, he's not been wrestling. He's just been treated like a goof, one segment after another. So, but but he's in it. Well, because they like seeing him get beat up. Well, you know what? Also, it, if you're trying to fool people watching the match into thinking you they know what the result will be, watching that match, you think you know who's going to lose. It's going to be The Miz. No one thinks Cody's not going to win. So I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Well, nevertheless, I was wondering here, there are two heels. You got Miz, you got Balor, so at least Cody, and, and obviously I think Cody probably had some feedback in this because why would he want to be a babyface in there fighting another babyface? So this was presented better, and even though it started at 100 miles an hour, and they went to break in under two minutes, it was Cody looking good against two heels and staying strong. And after the break, they came back. It was the top of the 9 o'clock hour. This is what they wanted everybody to see. And Cody, again, looking good against both. He hit a double Cody cutter. He was making the most of this. It still wasn't going to be a... It wasn't going to be a match that he could sell and get a ton of sympathy and blah 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 and have peaks and valleys so it made sense that he would again look like he's kicking a shit for the most part out of two heels and but there were lots of false finishes and the save and then the dumping the third guy to the floor but everybody's work is you know was fine and then finally cody hit the crossroads on balor and miz did saved it so Cody grabbed Miz and hit three in a row on Miz. So you knew he was doomed and covered him. And there is Brock. How did they get that big motherfucker to the ring in the arena without people popping and screaming and yelling? The seeing him because he was there at ringside when moments before he had not been there. Did he come up from under the ring? I, d I don't know because they didn't shoot it. I'm thinking maybe they run him out the side and bring him in the audio area there, right to the, but still you would think that people would see something happening, but you didn't hear a peep until suddenly as Cody covers uh, Miz, Brock is on the floor and pulls him out by the leg and hits an F5 on him on the floor. And Again, because of the, it's it's a triple threat, no DQ, lazy booking. The referee has to just stand there and look at it. 
And that's the only thing about this, uh, this angle I didn't like, uh, but I'll continue on with what happened. He pulls Cody out. He hits the F5 on the floor. He's got a black eye and a, the big gash on his head where you can see this, he's got stitches. And as he's standing over Cody, Finn Balor hits the double stomp on Miz and covers him one, two, three, and wins the match. And then Brock grabs Cody again and F5s him through the announce desk. And everybody in the match is gone and et cetera. That's, that's all over now. And Brock grabs the microphone and asks Cody, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about me. And he grabs him and cuts a fucking promo over him looking like an insane person with that bashed in face while Cody's laying there selling and challenges him to a fight at the Night of Champions on May 27th. And I love the angle, except for they didn't even need for the referee to see it. When you think about this, what had just happened? Cody fucking hits the um, Balor with the crossroads, right? And then he grabs Miz and he hits crossroads and crossroads and crossroads. As soon as he grabbed the Miz, if fucking Balor had started to stagger up and just fell backwards through the ropes and tied his fucking foot in the rope where the referee is, oh my God, the man's stuck upside down. He's trying to loosen the fucking foot right at their last third crossroads. Brock could have pulled him out, give him the F5. And fucking the referee turn around after he's freed Balor and see Miz laying there. Cody's on the floor. He don't know what happened. And you get a fucking finish that without the referee having to look and then still count the pin for the heels win. Just it's I did, again. Did I just have it drummed into me by so many smart people like Bill Watts and Jerry Jarrett and Bill Dundee and Dusty Rhodes or whatever, don't put all your heel heat on a referee. I mean, you're right. I mean, they do a lot of things that aren't right. But, I mean, I don't think anyone, most people don't even know who the referees are. Well, that's all right. But nevertheless, so Brock has taken Cody out of the World Heavyweight Championship tournament and has challenged him to a fight and is... And now they've 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 stolen the belt from Cody that his daddy never knew was going to exist in the garden. What do you think of that? Are they gonna? I mean, they already stopped the inevitable with WrestleMania, at least what we all thought was inevitable. The question became, okay, how are you going to not lose all the momentum with Cody between now and whenever he wins the belt? They go right into the Brock thing. Then after that starts, they announce the new championship. Now they screw Cody out of that. Remind everyone, just in case anyone forgot, he also can't challenge for the AEW championship. <laughs> oh, well, I don't think that's going <laughs> to no, be I mean, on the horizon. But I well, guess no, that's but- the point. Dusty Rhodes, very successful with frequently chasing the belt uh, that he won three times. Cody Rhodes was chasing one belt, got denied, just began a new chase, got denied. How long can you propel this? Could it be he gets through Brock and then gets another chance and Brock costs him again and then he gets another chance and someone else? How much can you keep doing this? Well, 
It's yet to be determined. But now in this one, I'm not that upset about it because remember we said, well, it's going to make him look like shit if he gets the consolation belt. And I think Cody's smart enough to know that too, which is probably why that he may have said, I don't want it. If, if they were ever going to give it to him, if I was ever in the plan, he probably said, I don't want it. But I'm pretty sure they already had this general roadmap uh, laid out. He's beaten Brock Lesnar, but he beat him. Remember, we said it wasn't like it was a an overwhelming, you know, dominant victory. He rolled him up when he was in the fucking soup. So, yes, he got by Brock. He had to beat Brock. But it's not really settled. Now, it, Brock has cost him this shot at this title. But here's the thing. In this next match, one of two things will happen. Either Cody will get a more dominant victory or Brock will fuck him some kind of way. And I'm hopefully not going out on a ledge to predict that if, if Brock fucks him, they're going to have a third match sometime that they've already agreed to, provided nobody gets hit by a truck between now and the time it happens. If Cody wins the next one more dominantly, then that means that he's not going to wrestle Brock again, but he has to have that victory to maintain his momentum. They can't go one and one. Like, for instance, um, oh, geez, who was it in the uh, in the rivalries they just did? Was it Rock and, Rock and Cena? They determined one, one, one year, and they brought it back oh, the yeah. next year. And, yeah. Rock and Cena, yeah. Okay. That worked a one and one, so you never really determined who was the better one, but the guy that was more regular won the second one. In this case, if they were going to do two matches between Cody and Brock, Brock would have, only two, I should say, Brock would have to win the first one, Cody the second one, if they weren't going to go for a third. But Brock couldn't win the first one because then that means Cody would be doing a job for Reigns and then doing a job for Brock. So they couldn't really do that the exact same way. So I predict either Cody beats him two in a row or if they're going to have a third match on down the line, then Brock will fuck him some kind of way and then he'll have to come back and get that dominant victory. But they can't, to answer your other question, they can't do that too much or with almost anybody else because, which is probably why they're doing it with Brock, you can almost, you can get a pass by getting beat by Brock Lesnar. Right, but almost nobody else, because everybody else the people view as human and one of the boys, not special. You know, I guess, I mean, you're right, but I guess my fear is that we're going to prolong Cody winning the belt so long that it's not going to mean what it could mean. Now, I didn't say they wouldn't do that. And WrestleMania just, was clearly the night, and even, I mean, look at the reaction he got in Jacksonville. He definitely seemed like he got a bigger reaction than everyone else. I almost think it would have been more effective if he beat Brock. You know, Brock chalked it up to, okay, you got me. I'm going to get you again one day and just move on. I, I don't want him to get stuck in a thing with Brock. I mean, we'll see. Maybe it'll end up being really good. Well, but see, the thing is, they need him stuck in a thing with Brock because they've got so few main event guys that are really main event guys. It's Cody. It's Brock. It's Reigns. It's help me. 
That's my mm-hmm. other question where I was going next, and I apologize if you hear Swami FedEx is here. But if Rain, if excuse me, if Rollins is going to be one of the guys in the match after this night here, and we see who's in the three-way matches on SmackDown, the problem is Roman Reigns feels like a world champion because he is. Cody Rhodes right now feels like a world champion because he likely should be. You mean to tell me that about Rollins or anyone else, whoever's going to win this title? That's the problem, too. If you don't put it on Cody, you're putting it on someone who probably shouldn't be a world champion. Well, but I have a feeling that their their overall goal is to probably have this secondary title. The reason why, or not, well, they don't think it's secondary, but it'll be secondary. And the reason why Cody's not in it anymore is because they don't want to put it on him and he doesn't want it because at some point, and it may be all the way till next year's WrestleMania, and boy, that might be stretching things. Cody's going to be the one to beat Roman Reigns, or they're just wasting their fucking time. So I, so however they think they can stretch this rubber band to get to that point, I wish them good luck, but there's not a big talent roster to put in the middle of Cody and Reigns to keep people busy that long. Well, you know, on the topic of Cody Rhodes, he is someone who frequently seems like he has the world by the strings, but somehow things constantly go wrong. That's a lot to deal with. Maybe he needs someone to talk to. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, that's why I think that he starts every interview that he does with, what do you guys want to talk about? Because he has been, in the past, uh, involved with the folks that we love at BetterHelp. Well, we can't say that. We could say well, that we, we think, think it would be. it because it's <laughs> all about talking. It's all about talking at BetterHelp. Of course, they're one of the sponsors of our program. They sponsor many of our programs, and it's with them, it's all about talking things over. And that's why he says, what do you want to talk about? Because he learned that from the fine licensed therapists that are awaiting well, you <laughs> it better help. We don't know that. Let's just state for the record, there are therapists waiting for you, but we don't know that Cody Rhodes has ever used them, and certainly not that he stole his catchphrase. Well, it just seems funny, is all I'm saying. It's just it's very coincidental to me because better help is all about talking things through. And folks, as they as they will tell you themselves at better help, therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. And that's why that BetterHelp will connect you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that, as they say, journey of self-discovery, which sounds more attractive than a journey to the center of the earth. And again, folks, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, by the way. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible. They can work around your schedule day, night, early morning. Who wants to talk early in the morning to anybody? I don't know. But nevertheless, if it's up to you, they'll do anything. All you got to do is go to betterhelp.com and fill out a brief questionnaire. You're going to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch anytime. Therapist, that is, for no additional charge until you find the one that's right for you and talk some things over and get someone else's viewpoint on the things that may be bothering you or keeping you from achieving your full potential. And 
If you go to betterhelp.com slash JCE right now, as in today, put the show on pause, come back to it later, and go to betterhelp.com slash JCE, you're going to get 10% off your first month's services. Again, betterhelp.com slash JCE, 10% off your first month's services. And not in a joking manner, we tend to be frivolous at times, but we have gotten numerous emails from many of the Cult of Cornet listeners that say they gave it a try and it helped them in their situation. Maybe it'll help in yours. Better help. I don't think it'll help in yours. Hey. Can we get back to Raw now? The people are waiting with bated breath to find out who's going to win this thing now. Hey, what was up with Brock's mic? Did you pick up on that? We didn't even talk about that. Oh, I, I, yeah. It, he demanded a microphone and somebody handed him one so he could talk to Cody. <laughs> and at first, either it wasn't on, I think maybe it wasn't on at all, but he was yelling loud enough that the the microphones on the floor camera were picking him up. But then I, they turned it on to program, but I'm not sure it was on the PA in the building because it didn't have that full sound, but I don't think, I think everybody was scared to tell him. So I don't know whether they, he got the point across. It it was heard, but uh, it looked more unplanned that way. So what the fuck? Hey, one other thing I'll say, cause when Brock had a mic that either didn't work or wasn't turned on and he was talking into it and yelling into it. What do you want to talk about? Cody Brock said it. It references what Cody says. But if you notice, when Cody says it, that's the one thing that doesn't get a reaction. Didn't get any reaction in Jacksonville, which I thought was very interesting because he was over. Yeah. And they reacted to him. They didn't react to him saying that line in the promo. Because also, how do you answer it? If you show, (laughs) you know, it's not like, you know, yelling what back at Steve Austin or anything. So what do you want to talk about? Then you're supposed to yell topics at him. What do you do? The high price of food. Inflation. <laughs> oh, I I don't know. I don't know. But um, but anyway, nevertheless, um, he wanted to talk to Cody, and he did. But you know who didn't want to talk to Marcel Marceau and Kaiser Wilhelm? Yeah, I saw on those. this program was Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. So. Gunther's Imperium cohorts, their henchmen, as uh, Owens called them, and rightfully so, his henchmen, they've just come to Raw, right? They just got drafted over. (laughs) They're a brand new tag team on the show. They come up and have a backstage interaction where they put Owens and Zayn on notice that they're they're coming. They're getting Gunther's going to be here next week, and we're here now. And Owens and Zane says, well, we'll deal with you. Unlike the bloodline that took months, we'll deal with you tonight. And the next thing that they did after the Brock angle was they had a match. And guess what? Owens and Zane dealt with them tonight. <laughs> in about five minutes of match that was actually on the air, they just beat them flat in their first match on the show. You see what I'm talking about? That's why you don't take the henchmen in any of these groups seriously because they're flunkies. First of all, they went up to him backstage. I mean, Zane was on SmackDown. Was Owens on SmackDown too? I mean, every now and then he was. It's not like these guys have never seen each other before. Yeah. So now they're having a brand new interaction on a brand new show, I guess. There's too much of this still. 
Forget about like two guys having a conversation like the bloodline do with the camera in front of them. I'm talking about like two guys are there and someone's right off camera and they just walk up to them yeah. <laughs> and have like this weird child. Like it happened at least twice on this show because the Xavier Woods thing later on. But enough of that. And yeah, Imperium, Gunther is treated as serious as you can. Treat someone, I guess, to complete that yeah. sentence. Yes. Yes, it'd be nice if you spoke in full sentences, but I agree with you. But they're not. They're the exact opposite. Even though a uh, tall one gets mic time, they're treated like this. First night in. First night on Raw. Next week's Gunther, but I don't know. Why not give them a win? Eh, whatever. Yeah. I think traditional, I guess. Well, and there's a bunch of other things that happened in this program, but basically, and, and Cody got... Another promo after after he was F5'd on the floor, F5'd through the announce desk, and was disabled so badly that Brock could stand there and not even stand there, just cradle his head like a baby and trash talk him for a while. But now he's back ta in the back talking to the girl interviewer. And it basically, you know, he did a good job of being flustered by this whole thing and, you know, acting like it was unexpected. But now he agrees to take the challenge for the fight. He says this is the second time for Brock to attack him. It must be because Cody's taking his spot and he can't handle it. So if you want to fight at Night of Champions, let's fight. Well, obviously he was going to accept, but I, again, could he even have, you know, can you wait till next week? He just got fucking yeah. laid out. Should we have seen ambulance footage? Right after he got laid out, I was thinking how great Cody was selling it. He looked dead. I mean, his eyes were open and he was reacting a little bit, but it wasn't too much. He looked like a guy who just got beat up by Brock Lesnar. With that said, I like this promo. I like this promo better than the opening promo. Well, he had something to talk about here. He had something to talk about. He also wasn't dressed like Captain Marvel or whatever. <laughs> the, the outfit he comes out to the ring no, in. He was, he was dressed like Billy Shears. Well, I don't know about that, but he was... And by the way, how many people you think are Googling Saul Zance right about now? But go ahead. Oh, that was a few minutes ago. I don't know if they're still doing that. They're now on the Billy Shears. They're trying to figure out how to spell Zance. The one and only Billy Shears. But wherever I was going, He's I was the going there. we've known for all these years. <laughs> Cody had... But he was, wearing, he was wearing a hoodie as opposed to, yes. you know... Like, if Michael Jackson was a wrestler, like, what would he want to wear? Like, you know, like, you know, make me something with giant collars. And, you know, <laughs> Cody, Cody looked like the commander of the Thunderbirds Space Force there. <laughs> I DVR Thunderbirds every, uh, I guess, Sunday morning on MeTV. So you're the one. I'm so the anyway, one. but finally we got to, let's talk about the main event and get it over with because that's... Seth Franklin Rollins against Finn Balor, and I wrote at the bell, is anyone in the dark about this finish? And this time they went three minutes to the break, and they came back and did a, you know, a little bit longer, and uh, there's nothing wrong with the work, and both guys are talented. I don't think the finish was ever in doubt, especially they swerved us with Cody, so they wasn't going to do it again. And Seth won with a stomp, nice action-packed match, and Seth is going on to the finals on whoever comes out of ahead of this thing when they do the same thing on SmackDown in two hours Friday night instead of three like this one. 
but that was the main event. What do you think of the bracket for the uh, SmackDown wing of the tournament? <laughs> I I can't remember now who the fuck it is. I had it written down, but it's not on this pad. Who is it? Uh, hold on. I'm pulling it up right now. Please pull it up right now. WWE Twitter. Two three-way matches. AJ Styles versus Edge versus Rey Mysterio. And Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley versus Sheamus. Those are harder to call because nobody particularly stands out as who you would think they were, you know, as as we did thought in this one that it would be Cody and then, you know, Rollins is would be the second choice, but that one's kind of flatter across the board. Everybody's got a shot at maybe except well, I don't know. I don't know about AJ these days. He hadn't been uh, presented as highly as he used to be. What would you do? Obviously, you have Rollins is going to be one of the options, and he may be the strongest option, all things considered. You could elevate an Austin Theory. I don't know if it helps Bobby Lashley. I don't know if it's the right thing at all right now with Bobby Lashley. Yeah. I don't know about Sheamus. Doesn't seem like that's the path they've been on with Rey Mysterio, but you don't know. The OWO selling a lot of shirts. Well, but also, again, a, who wants to see a babyface, all babyface final? And why? Why would you want to? So. So AJ or Theory. Um, AJ or Theory. Well, no, well, well, wait a minute. AJ Gallows and are they babyfaces or heels? Do we even know? Who are they feuding they just, with? They just got back. They've been, they've been gone a while. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if they're babyfaces or heels. It'd be it'd be nice to give theory that thing and then have a tournament for the U.S. title. All right. Well, this sounds like uh, Tony Khan's biggest dream: just three ways and <laughs> tournaments everywhere. <laughs> three ways and tournaments every. How about a battle royal? They don't do that enough. Well, that was uh, WWE Raw for the eighth. Jim, let's uh, get some questions here on the show. Let me move this bracket. There's a phrase not said often enough on <laughs> wrestling podcast. Jim, a story that a lot of people have been sending us. This is from TMZ Sports. AEW star Darby Allen, I'm climbing Mount Everest next year. <laughs> World's tallest mountain. Darby Allen is taking his daredevil reputation to new heights. The AEW star tells TMZ Sports he plans to climb Mount Everest the world's highest peak next year. One of the most physically and mentally demanding feats known to man. And he comments initially here. Well, yeah, but then they, they left out the best part and then he's going to jump off the top of it. Well, he has not some, said that. He's no. going to, he's going to put a Sherpa guide through a fucking table in the Valley below. 30 year old Allen says he's on a mission to surpass what other wrestlers have done before him. Not just inside the they ring. They, o they only climbed Klingman's Dome down in the Smokies. He's going to go all the way to Everest. Not just inside the ring, but outside too. Quote, pushing the boundaries, unquote. That's been my whole MO since AEW started, Darby told Mojo Mutati, adding... What? Wait, what? I don't know who that Did is. Did you just have a stroke? I was reading the name and trying to get it correct. It's a TMZ reporter, it appears. Okay. That's why it's so important for me to meet up with the guys like Pastrana and make stuff happen. Wait a minute, who's Pastrami? I don't know. 
Uh, do stuff if, that did no. You, did you wait a minute? Did you skip over something in this? No. In this story? Well, there's some pictures, but uh, and make stuff happen. Do stuff that no wrestler has ever done before. That's when Darby revealed his intention to climb one of the most unforgiving mountains on planet Earth. The thing I'm going to be doing next year that no wrestler has done before is climb is climb <laughs> is climb Mount Everest. You heard it here first. I'm just trying to see if there's anything else interesting here, or if it's just about. I, I, well, I still want to know who Pastrami is, but what? I mean, yes, I guess technically you could say no professional wrestler has ever climbed Mount Everest before. I wonder if a fucking heart surgeon has done it either. What does your profession have to do? Um, well, I see something. It, do you do you get a plaque now if you're the first person from a specific line of work to climb Mount Everest? I'm not a fan of JBL, but didn't JBL climb a mountain? Am I wrong yeah, in thinking after he retired, he did something like that? I did, he, yes, I think he did. I don't think it was Mount Everest, but I remember seeing a picture of him in a snowbank or something. I don't know, but... Well, I have something here, Jim, at the bottom. Travis... But again, but again also, wait a minute. But then certainly, if Darby Allen has announced this, I mean, that, that would be, that'd be a significant time commitment to go all the way over to Mount Everest and and then to climb it and I would think you'd you know you'd have hotel and travel involved and obviously food I don't you'd have to take plenty with you I don't think they have a McDonald's on the side of the mountain so why isn't he getting sponsors and talking about hey Tony do a reality tv show pay me a quarter of a million dollars and shoot it for television and I'll climb Mount Everest since he's going to do it anyway, the dipshit's already declared he's going to do it for free. He's not going to get a payoff out of it. Well, I have something here, Jim, at the uh, bottom of this article. Travis Pastrana helped organize the stunt Darby did last year. That was the stunt where he drove uh, a car over a house. Wait a minute, that's where he jumped over <laughs> his house on his tricycle. No, this was in a car. Oh, okay. His mother, his mother gave him his learner's permit. Uh, you may recall last August, Darby Allen completed a 96-foot jump over his home in a Jeep, calling it the sketchiest stunt he had ever attempted. <laughs> uh, but Travis Pastrana helped organize this when I click on who he is. Is he a well-known mountain climber? <laughs> well, here are, the, here are the articles that pop up. Travis Pastrana practiced tricks gone bad for five years, and then the next article... That's from 2011. The next article's from 2022. Travis Pastrana hospitalized. <laughs> the jeep fell on him behind some guy's house. After terrifying parachute stunt crash in Florida. <laughs> and then the next article is Travis Pastrana says he broke back hip in terrifying parachute crash. Well, he's the guy that I'd like to have on my side setting up all my daredevil stunts. Here's the next article. Travis Pastrana warned Darby Allen before crazy stunt, you're going to break your back. <laughs> so even he's telling Darby to tone it down. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> noted, noted parachute accident expert, Travis Pastrami, is telling Darby to tone it down. No, but here's the thing. You can't just go like you're going to the goddamn park and say, well, I'll climb this mountain. That's a an expert thing to do with serious commitment of 
experienced mountain climbers and specific gear and knowledge and maps and all that shit. Do you th is he trying to say that he's going to let this fucking brain dead jack off that dives out of shit with malfunctioning parachutes actually help him climb Mount Everest? Or is he just mentioning him about other shit and he's going to actually get, I don't know, like a mountain climbing expert Sherpa. to go up Mount Everest. A Sherpa. A Sherpa. Or a Tibetan monk. Well, if you're on that side of the mountain, I guess, yes. Well, it could be that. It could be the other side of the mountain. Tony Khan has a lot of money, an unlimited budget. Darby Allen has done a lot of stunts. He's about has to do an, this one. Has an unlimited amount of stupid ideas. Let's put these things together. You got the brains. I got the looks. Let's make lots of money. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Jim Cornette does the Pet Shop Boys on the show. There's a first. My point was... What's your favorite, West End Boys or West End Girls? I uh, prefer to get to this question and finish what I was saying instead of you over there having your Casey Kasem moment of the day. My question was right there. <laughs> and God damn Oh, that's what it was. If you're, if you're going to do this thing, if Darby's going to go to Mount Everest and do something, Tony Khan has lots of money. Do you fly over a hill and do an angle at Everest? <laughs> Folks, let's take you now to some footage that was shot earlier today at base camp <laughs> when, when Darby Allen was attempting to chisel the Eskimo's body out of the block of ice. Suddenly, Powerhouse Hobbs appeared and ate the Eskimo. Oh, it's perfect. And then there's a snowstorm and then there's Sting. <laughs> it would work perfectly. That's the kind of stuff I want to see in AEW. Tony's money spent well. Can you just, I mean, again, there are, there are zip lining things at various places you can go and do. And I'm sure they have things where people can go to dude ranches as they call them to experience the Western ranch experience. I'm sure they've got Mark mountain climbing, but, to go up Mount Everest, you have to, you can't just do that as a, a some jack-off civilian, can you? Do they even let you do, try to do something like that? You have It has to be a, 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 a organized expedition kind of thing, doesn't it? Do they just let every Tom, Dick, is Harry that wants to fucking saunter up Mount Everest just start out and see what happens to them? 310 people, excuse me, over 310 people, possibly even 311, have died attempting to reach the summit of Mount Everest. So there you go, over Out of how many? There is no... Uh, <laughs> how many people have climbed no Mount Everest? There's no margin of error here. I don't know. Well, no, but, but does it say if they know how many have died, how many made it? What is the percentage there? What's the win... Risk-reward ratio, win-loss quotient. As of July 2022, there have been approximately 11,346 summit ascents by 6,098 people. Ah, wow. so some people have gone more than once. They're possibly the, the guides, maybe the Sherpas. Tony Sherpa and his cousin <laughs> Billy Sherpa. <laughs> But so then if only 6,000 people have done it, 
but 300 have died. That's 5%, right? Uh, roughly, yes. You got a 5% chance you ain't coming back. Fuck that. <laughs> What's up there that's the fucking fun? Well, you get to say you did it. Well, goddamn, I'll just lie. <laughs> no one would. You- hey, it's <laughs> going past Photoshop now. They got deep fakes. They got artificial intelligence. Somebody can can make a, a, a good enough looking picture of me at the top of Mount Everest to, to get by. And I'll just look yeah. here. We did it. We did it last Tuesday. We didn't tell anybody in case we didn't didn't get all the way there, but we did it. Here's the picture. Thank you very much. See you later. Yes, and that man's name is Travis Heckle. Hey, real quick before we move on, Jim. In general, and there's a lot happening in relative short order. There's a lot of different articles in different newspapers. What are your thoughts on AI, which is emerging pretty quickly? Well, I mean, we've heard the um, the one thing that somebody did, and I know people have put in. We talked and laughed about it that how much information you would have to put in just to get that come out. I. I, d- I don't I don't believe the AI voices that I've heard. They, they you know I think they almost got Uncle Dave, but they didn't get me very well in the clip that we listened to. And honestly, you can see that when they say uh, generate an AI interview or whatever from somebody, that is just kind of shit that has been compiled by some computer brain that, you know, from previous interviews that they've said, it wouldn't fool me. I don't believe yet, but at the same time, there's a lot of stupid people out there that have been fooled by lesser shit and continue to be already. And it's apparently getting pretty good, pretty quick. So one would have to think that sooner or later, they're going to be able to come up with, video that you can't really see through and then that could be a problem because then you've got well-known people from all over the world in any walk of life on video saying and doing shit they really didn't say and do and well that that could just be confusing but you're thinking about just deep fakes and that and that's a whole side thing there's been a lot of articles like here's one from the new york post yesterday the godfather of ai says its threat is more urgent to humanity than climate change. Okay. A prominent artificial intelligence pioneer, widely known as the godfather of AI, warned Monday that the burgeoning technology is a more urgent risk to humanity than the effects of climate change. Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, 75, flagged the danger days ahead of revealing he quit his part-time role assisting Google's AI development last month so he could speak more freely about it without disparaging the company's efforts in the sector. I'm trying to see what, uh, let me scroll well, down What does he bit. say exactly is the thing we got to keep an eye on? I'd like to be forewarned about this. I'm in the camp that thinks this is an existential risk, and it's close enough that we ought to be working very hard right now and putting a lot of resources into figuring out what we can do about it. Uh, trying to see where he says what the... See, I'll tell you one, one effect it's having on me. I mentioned the other day that we took Stacy's car to get service for a recall. Remember, I've always said, you know, when I get to 300,000 miles on Black Beauty, I'm going to buy a new one and be done with it. Well, 
I have only driven that vehicle in the last 16 years. I have not driven any other vehicles. And now that I see what the inside of some of the new ones look like, with all the computer shit and the guy, they don't have a a um a GPS map in in her vehicle like I've got. It's like looking at a Rand McNally Road Atlas, and you go, oh, I'll turn right there. It has the roads and everything. It's a very handy feature. Hers is goddamn animated, and it moves and turns, and you go up over the horizon, and it's like you're in the middle of a goddamn video game. I'm staring at that. I'm not paying attention to the fucking traffic. It's got cameras everywhere. I've got a little thing that beeps, beeps, beeps on Black Beauty when I back up so I don't bump into anything because it's a big vehicle. She's got a camera that shows what the fucking car looks like from the sky. It's on the screen that's as big as the first television set that I owned when I was a child. It's very disorienting. And you can hook up to all this shit, download all this shit, and press buttons on the screen. I don't want to be able to download the entire contents of the Library of Congress to read on my trip. I just want to fucking goddamn know where I'm going and have nice big all-weather tires and some heaviness so I've got some and four-wheel drive. Safety features. All this other shit, I'm not going to be able to work whatever I get. What were we talking about? We're talking about AI, and here I have something from this article. Critics have argued that unregulated AI could fuel the spread of misinformation, cause major losses in the job market, and provide bad actors with a new tool to wreak havoc in society. Earlier this month, Hinton admitted that he now partly regrets his life's work due to the potential risks. He expressed a fear that advanced AI would eventually grow out of the control of humans as systems develop an ability to create and run their own computer code. He cited the possibility of AI-powered weapon systems as just one scary possibility. Yeesh. Well, I'm glad I'm in my early 60s. Because by the time they figure this shit out, it won't really matter to me anyway. Well, one last thing on AI. I have chat GPT up. Is there anything you'd like to test out? Anything you'd like to generate? Um, and not in terms of image, in terms of actual text. Yes, a plot for the best way to kidnap and dispose of shit stain. I think that I will get in trouble if I put that in this search engine. Anything else oh. you could think of? Uh, what about the original recipe for Colonel Sanders Kentucky Fried Chicken? What is the original recipe for Colonel Sanders Kentucky Fried Chicken? Because that is kept in a locked location in the basement of the KFC headquarters here in Louisville, Kentucky, and no one except the top two executives are allowed to know what the entire recipe is to the extent that they even have their coating mixture made in different locations, and then it's mixed together at the individual restaurant. Hold on, let me try it this way. Oh, see, I already got a problem. Well, I don't know what the hell's going on with this thing. Apparently, the artificial intelligence is artificially intelligent. It's artificially not doing shit. Hold on, let me refresh the page. You you broke AI. You broke chat. Go fuck yourself or whatever it is. Tell me about Colonel Sanders 
Original recipe. Not extra crispy. I'm just going to say original recipe. And I'm also going to take that P out of about. There we go. And it's just blinking. Oh, Colonel Sanders' original recipe refers to the secret blend of 11 herbs and spices used to make the world-famous fried chicken at KFC. Kentucky Fried Chicken. The recipe was created by Harlan Sanders, who later became known as Colonel Sanders in the 1930s. The exact recipe for the original blend of herbs and spices is a closely guarded secret and is only known to a few select individuals. However, it is widely believed that the recipe includes a combination of salt, black pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, thyme, basil, oregano, celery salt, paprika, and white pepper. The chicken is prepared by first marinating it in a buttermilk and egg mixture, then coating it in a blend of flour and the secret spice mix before frying it in hot oil until it was crispy and golden brown. Well, that's fine. That's something any eight-year-old child walking the streets of Louisville, Kentucky could have told you. It didn't tell you, here's the lowdown, here's the, the information that nobody else knows, but I, with my mystical and technological and magical artificial intelligence will disseminate that information to you that no human being is smart enough to be able to possess. Let's try That's it this way. That's what I wanted to hear. Let's try it this way. Who would you like to hear? Who would you like this to generate a Jerry Lawler promo on? Um, well, you can't just do that, can you, unless you put in information? Give me a name. A Jerry Lawler promo on Bill Superstar Dundee. He oh, did more boy. of those than any, anybody else. Generate a Jerry Lawler promo on uh, network error. <laughs> Regenerate response. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Bill Superstar Dundee thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. But I'm here to tell you. You're just doing, that's not anything that that thing is writing. It's writing it. But I'm here to tell you that he's not even close to being in my league. He's just a little fish in a big pond. And when he steps into the ring with me, he's going to find out exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, come on, Dundee. You think you could take on the king? You think you could step into my ring and come out victorious? You've got another thing coming, my friend. <laughs> I've been in this business for decades. And I've faced some of the toughest competitors in the world. But you, Dundee, you're nothing special. You're just another wrestler who thinks he can make a name for himself by taking on the king. Well, let me tell you something, Dundee. When you step into that ring with me, you're not just facing a wrestler. You're facing a legend. You're facing the greatest wrestler of all time. And when it is all said and done, you'll be lucky to even walk out of the ring. So bring your best, Dundee. Bring everything you've got. But just remember, you're not facing just any wrestler. You're facing the king. And when it's all said and done, you'll bow down to the one true ruler of wrestling. Is it all said and done now? That's all said and done. Okay, that sounds nothing like anything that Jerry Lawler ever said to Bill Dundee. Well, I mean, it's, what it is, is it's a standard generic wrestling promo. If you changed the names from Lawler and Dundee to anything else, the only identifying remark was we gave it Jerry the King Lawler and it was all about being the king but there was no nothing there that would differentiate that from any 
heel wrestling promo talking about anybody, which is why you need human beings instead of computers, because that's what makes things different. Generate a Jim Cornette oh. promo on, let me think, what could be good? doesn't even have to be a wrestler. It could just be anything. On, well, I don't want Bad to weather. On bad weather. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Bad weather is the bane of my existence. <laughs> it's a menace to society, a scourge on the face of the earth. <laughs> when it's hot, I'm sweating like a pig. When it's cold, I'm shivering like a leaf. When it's raining, I'm slipping and sliding all over the place. <laughs> and when it's snowing, don't even get me started. I mean, come on, Mother Nature. What's your problem? <laughs> Can't you get your act together? You're ruining my life. You're ruining my clothes. And you're ruining my hair. But let me tell you, when you mess with the hair, you're messing with the whole package. <laughs> Hold on, I need a second. <laughs> the if you mess with my hair, you're messing with my back. <laughs> but you know what, folks? I'm not one to back down from a challenge. I'm not going to let a little rain or snow or heat or cold get in my way. No, sir. I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to put on my big boy pants and deal with it. Because that's what separates the men from the boys. The champions from the losers. The Jim Cornettes from the rest of the world. We don't let a little bad weather get in our way. We fight through it. We pers persevere, excuse me. We persevere. We, we, pres we preserve. I thought it was going to be preserve. And we come out on top. So let the rain pour down. Let the snow pile up. Let the sun beat down on my bald head. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> I'm ready Wait for it. I'm ready for it. I'm Jim Cornette and Wait nothing can stop Why me. Why am I bald? <laughs> Has it confused me with another Jim Cornette? I may have a little spot up there, but the most of it is covered. The fuck? Let the sun beat down on my bald head. <laughs> now even artificial intelligence is insulting me? <laughs> oh. So that's an example of what AI can do right now. Well... I'm not impressed. All right. Well, let's go to our next topic here, Jim. And uh, this is another one very popular with the listeners. Several have sent this in. Yesterday, as we are recording on Twitter, May 8th, 2023, Chris Jericho tweeted out a photo of a coat check well, no, ticket. No, 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 no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, don't, don't tell the photo that he tweeted. I know what you're going to say here. Read the tweet first. It was a... A plea for help. I guess the 911 lines were busy. There were no police officers anywhere around. Chris Jericho was physically and mentally, I believe, assaulted. Well, I have the tweet here. And, well, but he the only way that he was able to report this crime was on Twitter. Read, read, read the tweet, if, if you will. Chris Jericho on Twitter. Hey, Mandalay Bay, it's unacceptable that you tried to bully me and assault me when all I wanted was my bags that I left at Concierge. Your security staff ignored me, that's in caps, for 30 men 
And when I made some noise, physically and mentally assaulted me and laughed in my face. I want restitution now. And that's in caps with the attached photo of the coat check ticket. Yes, the, the, the photo was not of him with a black eye looking like Britt Baker on her T-shirt because he was physically assaulted, or it wasn't a picture of him out of a crying because he was mentally assaulted. I don't know. And what is restitution these days for mental assault? But it was a picture to prove this, these accusations, a picture of his claim check. That was it. it hold, in his hand, holding his in between his finger and thumb. But, Brian, this is something, it's, it's becoming epidemic now in this country. You go to a luxury hotel, and you want to get your bags, you want to get your car from the valet park, and they just come up, and they just beat the shit out of you. And then they verbally browbeat you, and then they laugh in your face. Have you heard? I've heard that happening just everywhere here lately. I don't have specific examples in front of me, and I apologize for that. I apologize to the court. However, I could be wrong. This isn't the first time Jericho's like tweeted out some kind of like weird hotel complaint or no. This complaint. There's many times. Hey, Delta Airlines, <laughs> you fucked up now, boy. <laughs> like he, like he's assembling the. You know, the Avengers somewhere with these tweets to go and rain hellfire, damnation, and fury down on these people at the various car lots and convenience stores and hotels and concierges that he seems to have an inordinate amount of trouble with. And I mean, I've done a lot of traveling, and I will admit that I normally stayed in more cost-effective establishments that didn't have valet parking and i generally take my own bags to my own room except when forced but i have never been verbally or physically assaulted by the valet parking guy and there was remember it was a couple of years ago he went over to um to the uk for a tour and he tweeted well this hotel i'm in sent the police to my room and Kicked me out for no apparent reason at three o'clock in the morning. I was minding my own business. Minding my own business in my own room. Blasting my radio. (laughs) (laughs) Listening to music, I believe, was what his story was. But here's the thing. They don't send the fucking police the first time for loud music. I've been in a few situations where I've been the person calling, saying, why are people bouncing off the wall on the other side of my fucking hotel room wall here? And I assure you, it takes three or four fucking visits from management before any cops are called. But uh, so he got kicked out of a hotel and said he was walking the streets in the middle of the night in the UK somewhere a couple of years ago. He's constantly got a problem with a restaurant or an airline. And one would think that if tweeting about it, was resolving the issue, he wouldn't have so many of these problems. Maybe he ought to figure out what's causing it all and or talk to somebody about it. We should have had better help in in here at this point. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that just if there was no 
contributing factor, mitigating circumstance, or fault on the part of the customer that even if you find a prick working at the, you know, concierge, you know, area of the Mandalay Bay, that uh, at the same time, they're not going to physically and verbally assault you as well as laugh in your face after that that happens. I mean, there's got to be two sides to this story, Brian, don't you think, is what I'm trying to say. Did Chris threaten to kick their ass and they laughed at him? Now that, that may be possible. I'm just, I'm wondering what the entertainment factor was in the, in how he confronted this situation and what, you know, is, well, he, he had to wait for 30 minutes and I'm sure he probably spoke up about it. And to be honest, I've, uh, that's why another reason why I don't like to stay in hotels where you valet your car or they have to carry your bags for you, because then you're at the mercy of somebody else's schedule. You got to go somewhere. They won't get your car. You need some shit. You ain't got your bags, but if you're going to do that, don't do that. Or if you're not going to do that, then do that. See, that's clear. Are you being a bully if you use your Twitter mob? Well, if there was legitimate bad service or a legitimate complaint, then I think that's pretty much justified or certainly something that could be done. But when you when you go past, okay, you know, boy, they took a long time to get me my shit and they're over understaffed or they have bad attitudes or whatever. And you go into, I was physically and mentally assaulted. Then maybe that you've gone past something that needs, that can be dealt with on Twitter and you need to go, I don't know, like the manager. What did the manager have to say? Hey, when the staff physically assaulted this television personality. I just found a recent example from January 22nd, 2023, 12.45 a.m. from Chris Jericho on Twitter. Hey, Derek! <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, Derek! <laughs> I can't speak. Hey, Derek, the manager. I'm a Hilton's Hotel Diamond member with 2.5 million points. So why did you threaten me when I checked into the Hilton president in Kansas City and you didn't have the rooms I paid for available? You threatened... How many and, rooms does he need? You threatened and demeaned me when all I wanted was the rooms I booked. Awful service! All in caps. <laughs> he was threatened and demeaned? If I'm Derek, I frame that fucking tweet. If I'm Derek, I have that tweet in my wallet. I hand it out to people. <laughs> okay, so that was when? January. That was January. Why does Chris Jericho keep crossing the paths of all of these mean, incompetent, violent people? The question is, what chain has he not done this to? This is Hilton, Mandalay Bay. I mean, he has all these points. Maybe he tries to stick with Hilton. I mean, it's a very nice uh, hotel, typically, in most places. I'm a Diamond member as well. I've, I've not had any issues with being physically assaulted at any of their locations. Who hasn't more points? You or Chris Jericho? Well, he apparently don't use them. I've, I've had millions of points over time, but I've 
used quite a bit of them as well, whereas it sounds like he's saving up to go to the fucking moon. You know, you can pretty much get a free night <laughs> in any fucking Hilton property, even the Waldorf Astoria for like 80,000 points. He's got two and a half million. Is this a gimmick? Now I'm starting to wonder if this is a gimmick. Here's another tweet. January 7th, so before the other one, 2023, 8.20 p.m. HighReservations.com. <laughs> I accidentally pressed wrong button for the suites I reserved for Wyndham Hotels in Deerfield Beach. <laughs> when I called the change 20 seconds later, I was told, quote, tough luck, deal with it. Wait, I find that unreasonable, and I would like to change, not cancel, all in caps, this reservation, total swindle. You know who he sounds like on Twitter? Don't say it, don't. He don't. sounds like a disgraced ex-president fuckknuckle. He, Awful he, service. That's why he buys hotels, so he has a place to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Unacceptable. Awful service. Witch hunt. Here's another thing. What, what did you just said there that said uh, he was... How was he mistreated there? How did he phrase it? Uh, HighReservations.com. I accidentally pressed the wrong button for the suites I reserved for Wyndham Hotels in Deerfield. When I called the change 20 seconds later, I was told, quote, tough luck. Oh, yeah. Okay. Deal with it. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, again, I hate the, the, the telephone workers in most places because they're usually either lost or stupid, potentially rude, but I've never had any, no matter how bad, say tough luck and deal with it. They're being monitored. If they say tough luck and deal with it, I think they get canned or an electric shock in their ass from their desk chair or something. They're supposed to say, we're sorry, sir. There's nothing we can do, but not tough luck, motherfucker, deal with it. How does he elicit these responses from people? Well, here's another one. This one goes back a ways. Je <laughs> July 18th, 2019, 9.05 p.m. Hey, Delta baggage service lady at <laughs> Atlanta Airport. <laughs> when a connection is missed and you hold my bags hostage overnight, it's not necessary to be rude or flippantly say, quote, I don't care if you've flown three million miles on Delta. <laughs> okay. There's plenty of other airlines to spend my money on. <laughs> <laughs> not at this rate. Not <laughs> they're going to see him coming. They're, they're going to put him on a federal no-fly list just for being a prick. Uh, all right. Well, but apparently Delta texted, uh, texted him, tweeted him back. Hey, Chris, we're terribly sorry for the events described. Please know that's not our normal level of service. Please know if we can assist via this channel, feel free to share via private message for additional review. Thanks for sharing. We appreciate you letting us know. H-A-A. And then he quote tweeted that and said, I'm waiting for your DM, Delta. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Oh, and you know what? He's hell when he takes that expired potato salad back to the deli, too. He wants his money back for the whole container, not just half of it. He may have eaten the first half, but that was before he realized it went bad. This should be his new gimme. He just gets on Twitter and complains yeah. about everything. Hey, Todd. <laughs> well, hey, you know Arnold, what? Fuck you. Well, you know what? These are obviously just the examples that have been made public. I'm sure there are many, 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 many other examples that we don't even know about publicly, or at least uh, a lot of you don't. But I would think whether I was Chris Jericho looking for the ability to play my music at any hour, day or night and drunkenly yell at anyone I want, or perhaps you're a hotel chain looking to get some guy that thinks he's in Bon Jovi out of your hotel. Perhaps someone needs to sue. There's, there's a need here in some form or fashion for legal representation, and folks, go no further than this man for that. Call Steven P. Now, folks, you may say, what about if you're a put-upon traveler? Winding your way around the country and encountering various rude people that mentally and physically assault you and hold your possessions hostage, you may need to sue. But what about if the flip-flop was on the other foot? What about if you're one of these many people that works in the service industry? You're a bag handler. You're a valet parker. You're a, a, a hotel clerk. You're someone at the ticket counter of a major airline. And suddenly, for no apparent reason, someone rushes in and begins berating you about the service that you have not provided for them. And they identify themselves as a TV star of high importance. And something must be done because they've been mentally and physically assaulted. And yet your fault, you got to have some representation. That's why you need to call Stephen P. New because he will get that Bon Jovi wannabe out of your hair once and for all, even if he has to pull out that Bon Jovi wannabe's hair plugs to do it. And folks, again, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. If you're, if you're a member of a hotel chain, he will defend you against the charges that you should have known better than to let the guy have the key to the minibar. Then if you are a valet parker or a baggage handler, he will defend you because you couldn't give the person their possessions because the smell of vodka from the claim ticket made your eyes water and you couldn't read the number. Whatever the case may be, Folks, Stephen P. New is going to take care of you. 888-692-8084. Newlawoffice.com. Don't be attacked and harassed on Twitter by Karen Jericho. Do something about it. Defend yourself today in a court of law. Well, Jim, let's get some questions here on the show. Questions from the Cult of Cornette. And we'll start with a question from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group. This one That was... everybody's still trying to get into. 
Well, we are now, we have now allowed 8.4 thousand, or 8,400, I guess I should say. <laughs> Either was right. We've allowed 8,400 people into the group so far, and there are still tens of thousands trying to get in, but we're going through every application, so uh, stay tuned. And if you're not going to get dick in your uh, comments on the questions, maybe that's also why. But that, here's a question. Here's a question from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group from William McPherson. What if Roddy Piper had remained in the NWA Jim Crockett promotions in the 80s? How big of a difference maker would he have been? And would he have been either the top babyface or the top heel from any time between 84 and 87? Ooh, see, therein lies the problem. Because the top heel was Flair, the top babyface was Dusty, and it may be why Roddy didn't stick around. I think Piper would have been natural as a heel, but at the same time, he and, he and Flair were so good against each other, but at the same time, can you imagine a four horsemen of Flair, Arn, Tully, and Piper? And that's what it would have been because Piper was his drinking buddy. Yeah, and that the whole reason the horsemen, the horsemen got were. together yeah. was because they were the group. Well, Piper would have been in that group. So, I mean, obviously, all things considered, it worked out better for Roddy because he became the premier, you know, heel to Hogan's first run. And we, they're still doing documentaries about that. And Roddy was the guy that provided the antagonism for most of the early years of the WWF there, whereas if they hadn't had him, the whole thing with Rock and Wrestling Connection, with Piper, with MTV, yeah, or not with Piper, but with Lauper, MTV, the whole nine yards, that, uh, that wouldn't have happened. So the promos in the NWA and the matches would have been off the fucking charts with Roddy as one of the horsemen. But he probably wouldn't have done as well as, and it would have definitely been a big difference for Crockett, I think, just to have Roddy on the, you know, but I mean, our roster was so loaded already, but Roddy stood out as one of the absolute best. But, you know, it probably worked out the best way for, for Roddy and for the WWF that he did what he did because. Even talent-wise, he was there, but if Dusty had to make the decision, do I make him the top babyface or myself, or do I turn Flair babyface and make Piper the top heel, but then me and Flair on the same side, eventually that might not have worked out. There have always been stories or direct comments that one of the reasons that Rick Steamboat, if not the main reason that Rick Steamboat left Jim Crockett promotions for the World Wrestling Federation in early 85 was Dusty as the booker. Ricky Steamboat recognized what his limitations would be on the card with Dusty eating up the top spot for a babyface. You just discussed that with Piper. What would Piper do? Because you have Dusty here, you have Flair here. Yeah. Can you see any... Is there any scenario where Dusty would have been able to book and use himself, and not have himself as the top guy? He mentally would have been able to do that? Well, and part of the thing also is, 
you know how much I love Ricky Steamboat's work. Steamboat was not the box office attraction Dusty was. At that point in, in 1984, he just wasn't and wasn't going to be, I don't think. Tremendous wrestler, and he and Flair were the gold standard. But as far as big show, major box office, big money match, Dusty outranked Steamboat. That may not have been the case with Roddy. Although it would have been close again, people again forget what Dusty's status was in wrestling at that point in time. You would be looking at Hogan, Piper, Flair, Dusty as the four guys, and Andre still, as the four guys that were the big box office attractions in the entire business, not just one company. So that would have made it a little... I think Steamboat would have been great with Dusty because Dusty loved athletic baby faces like that, the Rock and Roll Express. It, they weren't all the Road Warriors, but he wasn't going to be the top guy. Plus, if Magnum but, was coming in, that was going to only I was hurt about Steamboat. to say, that's, that's the thing. Steamboat didn't want to necessarily, I don't think, had a problem maybe being behind Dusty, but then there's Magnum. And now he's number three. And Magnum was new. Steamboat had been in the Carolinas for years. So that was, he just saw the overall scheme of things, Dusty bringing in his own guys rather than just leaving because of Dusty himself. But that would have hurt Magnum because if Piper was there, it would have been harder for, harder for Maggie to get over because Piper was so established and a force of nature, whereas, you know, Magnum was still new. So he would have been number three on the babyface side if, if Roddy was there. If Piper stays... Well, he already started. I was going to say, does he get They Live? He had already started acting before then. Yeah. But would he have gotten They Live? Well, he might have got They Live, but would he have got the time off to do it? I don't know. And then in that case, he might have said, well, fuck it, then I'll just go do that. Because that's... <laughs> Dusty did not like to give people time off. I asked for time off to go to a wedding one time. He said, is it going to be in Greensboro? Because that's where you're going to be on that day. Jim, our next question, sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com, but it was originally actually sent in the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. I thought it was a good question. Asked him to send it here. From Mark Andre Sear in Quebec City. Hello, Jim and Brian. There was a two-hour interview with both Rougeau brothers on a major radio station in Montreal earlier this week. While Jock was being his usual carny self, <laughs> Raymond was very interesting, uh, excuse me, was very interesting to listen to and told many stories about the rivalry with the Garvins, Haku nearly killing people in hotel bars, and Jimmy Hart being an all-around awesome manager who also prioritized putting his talent over himself. Raymond also talked about his in-ring retirement and mentioned something regarding Tully and Arn and Heenan politicking their way to the title while the Rougeaus had been promised to be the next in line for a run as champions. He said this is what caused him to finally pull the plug on his wrestling career because he was already thinking about it prior to that event. I was wondering if, although this was before Jim's arrival in WWF, Jim had heard about Arn and Tully or Heenan using politics 
to make their way to the titles early. Also, while I've heard Jim talk about Jock a few times, I was wondering if he had any thoughts to share on Raymond Rougeau, either as a wrestler or a commentator, or if he was there for his boxing match with Owen Hart <laughs> at the Montreal Forum. Yes, I was. We talked about that, you and I, a couple weeks ago. I think we've talked about it here on the program, but it was at the Montreal Forum uh, August 2nd. I'm squinting because I don't have my glasses on. 1996, Owen Hart had a boxing match with Raymond Rougeau, and I was in Owen's corner along with a, a boxer from Montreal named Dino Clavet, if I'm not mangling that name, who had a gym there. But... The action, the real former heavyweight boxer George Shavalo was in Raymond's corner. And I guess he's had something to do with Montreal. But anyway, uh, Raymond had boxed some in, in you know, in his younger days and kind of knew how to work it. And Owen was laughing because he was a boxer like I'm a goddamn astronaut, right? But he could work. So they had an entertaining you know, a little boxing match before Raymond won. Uh, Raymond was, uh, I don't know how he was as a French announcer because I don't speak French, but Raymond was more, whereas Jacques was the over-the-top brother who, as we've talked about, had the big personality and, and he got heat with people because he had that French-Canadian personality, right? And things he'd say and, ah, the big boy, you know, like that, but Raymond was more quiet down to earth and got out of the business first, as he mentioned. And I thought Raymond, well, Raymond started much earlier also. He was the older brother. So he had a long career and was all the Rougeaus, as we mentioned, were over in Montreal, going back to their father and uncle and et cetera. But the, um, the, the politicking part of the question, and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, cast aspersions on Raymond or Jacques, either one, but Tully and Arn didn't immediately show up in the WWF and start politicking, nor was Bobby Heenan the kind of guy that went and politicked. What happened pretty much was that I'm sure they did promise the Rougeaus they'd have a run with the belts, but then as you'll recall, Tully and Arn's, um, debut in the WWF didn't have a lot of pre-planning to it. They came in after they got sideways with Dusty, especially Tully. They came in that night in Philadelphia, September the 10th, 1988, gave the notice, dropped the belts to us, and they were gone. And <clears throat> you might remember better than I do, but how long after that was it that they showed up in, in the WWF? It was pretty quickly. They showed up within a month, and also this is around a period of time. You got to remember that the Rougeau Dynamite Kid incident happened. Yes, and uh, see, here's the thing: at the same time, people now are going, "Well, how could they just give notice and leave that night?" And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure their contracts had been up, and they were working on new ones. And there was a hold. There was. They tried to start renegotiating their contracts, Tully and Arn and a few of the other guys right after Bobby and Stan and I had done it that previous April. Because we went in first and told Jimmy Crockett that we were upset about the payoffs that we'd been getting because it wasn't our fault. Our various programs had, our opponents had had issues and had been broken up or didn't 
you know, come through or whatever. Business was down as a whole. But that's where he was still believing he was going to get the pay-per-view revenue. He was going to get the syndicated TV revenue that they had, you know, figured they'd promised they were going to get with this syndicated TV network. So he renegotiated us. And since we got in first, we signed ours. And I've said this before. I think between the time that he agreed to it and the time that we signed it, he found, that's what he found out. Cause we don't know the exact date that he found out that they were in trouble and behind, but I think it was in between, but he signed it anyway to keep us happy knowing that if things didn't work out, it wouldn't cost him any extra money. And as it worked out, it didn't, it cost TBS money, but Arn and Tully didn't get to do theirs as quickly. He didn't sign theirs. So I think theirs had expired and they were working on something in the summer based on the fact that TBS was imminently going to be buying the company. That may have been what happened. But anyway, they didn't have a lot of time to plan for Tully and Arn's arrival in the WWF. They gave them to Heenan because Heenan was the top heel manager. And if you got paired with Heenan, then you were automatically at that period of time taken as a main event level talent, whether tag, single, whatever. And naturally, when they get the top heel team from their only competition, they're going to immediately push them to the top of the company because it wouldn't make sense not to do it. And Vince didn't do things back then that didn't make sense. <laughs> Maybe after age is a different story, but... So even if the Rougeos had been promised, they didn't know they were getting Tully and Arn. Then they did, and yes, they're going to use them. And they're going to put them with Bobby. And Bobby didn't go politic into Pat, like, oh, let us win. He didn't, he didn't, he did his job. So the Rougeos are sitting there seeing that, oh shit, we were supposed to get it. And all of a sudden, you know, here these guys come in and they're with Bobby, whatever. But as you mentioned also, the problems with the Bulldogs had happened fairly recently to that. And, you know, that was not a, it wasn't ever worked out to everybody's satisfaction all the way around. The Bulldogs left. Well, you know, I'm sure there was still some heat on the Rougeos. So that may have been the real story behind that. I'm not saying he's lying. I'm saying that's how he perceived it. Remember years ago when he was alive, Bad News Allen, Bad News Brown did an interview or did several saying that Vince McMahon told him when he signed him, I'm going to make you the world champion. You'll be the first black world champion. <laughs> Didn't happen. Bad News Allen was pretty upset about it, or at least it bothered him as it would anyone. You hear the Rougeau saying it here. Do you think Vince says these things and changes his mind? Does he say these things just to get you to do what he wants you to do and he has no intention on doing it? When he promises guys, especially in that era, where titles meant a whole lot more than they do now, was it often for guys to be promised belts? And do you think Vince McMahon would have meant it if he offered it or said it well, was going to happen? Here's the thing. I have talked to Vince as talent with the Midnight Express in another company, him pitching us to come there. I've seen Vince talk to other talents that he's bringing in. I've worked in the on the creative team, and I have never legitimately heard Vince McMahon promise anyone that they would win a title when he's trying to get them to come to work for him. 
That's never been part of the pitch. You're going to be the champion. Now, honestly, you know, when it's been somebody that's been there and maybe they're trying to come back like a Hogan or a fight, whatever, but well, yeah, we'll do this or that. Maybe that. But no, and and Vince, I don't even think, would have been the one to tell the Rougeos, we're going to put the belts on you. They were already working there anyway. That wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like a, a enticing them as part of signing the contract. But in those days, like Pat or somebody in, in the office might have come to him and said, hey, we're thinking of doing, you know, a program with you and whoever the champions were. And maybe, you know, we'll switch the belts and we'll run with that. Whatever, just ideas. And here's what plans are. Not necessarily dates and places, but this is what we're thinking about. Those things change. And I just gave you a reason why that it would have changed. But as far as bad news, I'm sorry. Vince may have very well said, Alan, you'll make more money than you've ever made in your life. That was one of his favorite lines, and often it was true. He may have said, I'm going to use you on top. You're going to be you know, the the toughest guy in the WWE or whatever, right? Like he'll tell Vader, you're going to be the Mastodon or you're going to whatever. And he might have even said, you could be the first black WWF champion. Who knows, pal? But he, he would never say, and especially to, um, I'm sorry, but Bad News Allen, great talent and had a great gimmick and was a legitimate badass, but there's no way that Vince McMahon would have ever had him under consideration to be the actual WWF champion in the 80s. He was a heel. Vince liked baby faces. He was in his 40s. Vince liked younger guys. He was a badass, but his body didn't look good, and Vince liked the Ultimate Warrior, who was the furthest thing from a badass, but what a body. So that just doesn't make any sense, and that's why I don't believe it. Yeah, and again, Tully and Arn came in by the spring of 89. They were working with the Rockers. By the summer, it was them and Demolition. They got the belts, the Rougeos, did a program with the Rockers. And then I think it was the Bushwhackers, and then they were kind of gone. But Jim, let's but, get... But then, but then, and one more thing, and then Tully and Arn, after a year, they were only there for a year, they made the decision to go back to WCW. Flair had gotten the book. Flair had paved the way with Heard to offer them $250,000 a piece to come back and reform the horsemen because Flair had already gotten business back on the upswing. The pay-per-view buy, right, buy rates were the best they'd ever be till 96. The ratings were the best that they had been and would be till 96. And he said he talked Tully and Arn into coming back and got the okay to offer them the money and so that's when, after one year, Tully and Arn would rather. They wanted to, they both still lived in Charlotte. They wanted to come back to the Carolinas. They wanted to see their family more often. They wanted to work in the NWA. The WWF was not their cup of tea. Everything was fine. And then Tully didn't give a shit, so he flunked the drug test on the way out and heard upheld the results of the drug test withdrew the offer to Tully, ended his Major League Wrestling career, cut Arn's offer by $100,000, saying that he was not worth as much as a single as he was with a team with Tully, and screwed Arn Anderson and his family when Arn had no recourse because he'd already given his notice. 
That was why people wanted to fucking murder Jim Hurd in a dark alley and throw his body in a river. But that's what happened. They were only there for a year, so they didn't come in and politic and want to get in good with the office and stay there forever. They came in, they were used as top guys, and then they made the decision to leave. And Hurd fucked them on the way out so Vince didn't have to. And it's important to note the Rougeaus, I think their last match as a team was Royal Rumble. So that's January of 1990. They were out of there right after Tully and Arn two months later. But Jim, let's get another question here. This one sent via the Cult of Cornet Facebook group by Carrie Nellum. What do oh, you th- that can't be a real name. Well, we don't know that for sure. What do you think of WWE's thinking behind not having Gunther as part of the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament? Well, good, succinct question. Um, I hadn't really sat and thought. I'm glad he's not, because he ain't going to win it, and that would mean he's going to get beat. He hasn't really showed up on the new program yet. Um, he's still got which way, the Intercontinental title. Maybe that's the loophole. They, well, he's the Intercontinental champion, so he can't be in the tournament for the world title or whatever, but... I mean, it it makes no sense logically if you were looking for the six best guys on that show's roster, Gunther would be part of it instead of The Miz or whatever. Um, and he's a champion, but it doesn't bother me because if they put him in it, they'd beat him, and I don't want them to beat him. All right, well, succinct answer <laughs> to the well, succinct I mean, question. I mean, you know, that that's... What else can you say? None of the... In the territory days, if you had a tournament, there were always guys that you knew weren't going to go all the way, right? If you had a tournament of eight guys or 12 guys or whatever the case. But there were enough top guys in it that you, okay, you could reconcile yourself with, these are all the main event guys, but they still needed three other guys. That's why those guys are in it. But all the top guys would be. Well, now when they have a tournament, they have a tournament involving everybody that's just convenient for them to put in it. And there's multiple people that the fans would say, well, why wouldn't that guy be in a tournament for the world title instead of this fucking flunky? But they don't expect anybody to give a shit that closely because they don't anymore. All right. Well, Jim, let me ask you a question outside of the realm of professional wrestling. Uh Oh, some big news that broke this week. Bill Saluga better known as Raymond J. Johnson Jr., passed away. No! How old was he? Uh, Let me pull that up, but for the listeners who have heard Jim reference it but never heard it, let's play a little bit of this while I pull that up. Please do. Oh, hi. How are you this week, uh, Mr. Johnson? Oh, you doesn't have to call me Johnson. My name is Raymond J. Johnson Jr. Well, there it is. Maybe the Baby's biggest. Baby's in the air. Baby's in. That's all he had to do. <laughs> Maybe that the biggest laugh all... he ever got. But, but that's all he had to do. He would come out as soon as somebody would say Mr. Johnson. He would say, oh, you doesn't got to call me Johnson. And the place would blow. And then he'd go through the fucking thing. 
And, you know, and he, there was even a disco single. Did you ever hear the Dancing Johnson disco single? Uh, maybe I don't. Know. I have it in my. I will. I will record that and send the, the a copy of that to you so that you can hear it because they made a disco single out of him with a, out a disco beat of him just over and over doing his thing, and that was his thing. He was eighty-five years old. Wow. So what? What year was that? Hot was that? Seventy-six, seven, eight. Well, then he did commercials. Remember, we well, yeah, but I mean the first routine. He he was even he was uh, how old did you say he was just now? Eighty five. So he was already forty when he did that shit. This is a nineteen seventy eight commercial. I'm sure you remember. Let's go to this. Give me an Anheuser Busch Natural Light. Just say natural. You see, you doesn't have to call it Anheuser Busch Natural Light, and you doesn't have to call it Anheuser Natural, and you doesn't have to call it Busch Natural. Just say natural. Johnson's right. Oh, you can call me Ray. Or you can call me Ray. Or you can For call a great me tasting light beer, just say natural. But you doesn't have to call me Johnson. Two naturals, please. Please don't ask him his name. Name? You can call me Ray. Or you can call me. He made a whole career out of Yes. <laughs> what do we say? Like, you know, him and Father Guido Sarducci. They got 20 years and fucking millions of dollars off of one fucking bit. Let's go to this. Hey, let's play a game. Game? Oh, you can play Einstein if you got your mind. You can be the red, and you can be the green, and you can be the yellow, and you can be the blue. But don't you touch Einstein until he tells you to. Einstein's a computer that's lots of fun. Four can play or just one. If you win, Einstein knows, but if you lose, Einstein goes. Oh, Johnson. Oh, you doesn't have to call it Johnson. Its name is Einstein. Or you can call it Ein, or you can call it... <laughs> <laughs> well, there he is. Bill Saluga, 85 years old, from Youngstown, Ohio. I'm sure there'll be a monument erected in the town square. Can you imagine how long the funeral is going to take? Think about that, because when the, when the preacher gets up there and says, we are here today to say goodbye to Raymond J. Johnson Jr. Ah! You didn't have to call him Johnson. <laughs> well, you could call him Ray, or you could call him J., or you could call him Ray J, or you could call him RJ, or you could call him RJJ, or you could call him RJJ Jr., but you doesn't have to call him Johnson. See, that's going to take a while. Do you think they're going to put that on his stone? You I can call me Ray. <laughs> well, just at least the beginning of it. They may have to, well, they may have to, like, instead of like a regular tombstone that's stuck in the ground and sticking up, they may have to do like a, a cinerama, a wide screen tombstone where they can get all that in well uh our respect and uh, thoughts if to the they memory. can find a place to bury him because they went to the cemetery and they said oh you doesn't gotta bury him here well you could bury him there or you could bury him over there <laughs> or you could bury him in the cross the street but you doesn't gotta bury him here well uh we're not gonna bury the show here let's get a few more questions here on the show jim this next one from the cult of cornet facebook group was sent in by Sohil Nandwani. What? Again, what? we have an international audience, a vast international... Well, you don't international... gotta call him Sohil. Why, you could call him Boothil, or you could call him Shitheel. His name is Sohil Nandwani, and I'm sure I'm butchering his name. I apologize, but his question 
In your opinion, what is the most prestigious second title or secondary title, excuse me, in both singles and tag team wrestling history? For example, in my opinion, the WWF Intercontinental title is the most prestigious secondary title in wrestling history. Well, I, again, in wrestling history, that takes into account 125 years or, or a little bit more. But also, then the secondary title has changed meaning and placement and the way that it's utilized over the period of time. All championships in the territory days, except for the world title of one of the major groups, the NWA, the AWA, the WWWF, at one point in time, the WWA in California, at one point in time, the WWA in Indiana, just because of Bruiser, and a few other places here and there, those were the world champions. Any other title anywhere in any territory was, by definition, a secondary title and admitted as such. The U.S. champion in Detroit or the Southern heavyweight champion in Tennessee or the mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion in the time in the Carolinas or when they had the um, North American title in Mid-South, those were all the top titles in that particular territory, but they were secondary titles to the world champion, and the fans knew that. And that's what made the dynamic of the world champion coming to face that regional title holder to see if he could win the big one in his home market. That's what made that draw. You never had... And when they appeared on the same card, when the world champion was in Florida... The main event, the NWA world title, the Florida heavyweight champion would be on the card, but he was there all the time, whereas the world champion came in and went. So you didn't have a situation like you've got it now where the world champion in the WWE is around just as often as the intercontinental champion or the U.S. champion, where the world champion in AEW is still on the program almost every week, even if MJF doesn't wrestle often, he's still there with all the other many champions in AEW. They coexist on a regular basis. That changes the dynamic. Then that really does illustrate that this guy, he's not the best that this company has, and he's got a chance against the world champion if the world champion ever comes in. It's the world champion is already here, and this guy's got a belt that's not quite as important as that. So that changes the dynamic. As far as what was the most important secondary title in wrestling history... Prestigious. Presti presti well, prestigious. I mean, let's face it. Is there a belt in wrestling history almost anywhere from any company that... You know, people walking down the street said, oh, my God, just because he won that belt, he walks on water. That, you know, important uh, for box office, important for a guy to have to further his career, important to draw money with, important to be featured on big crowds, that kind of important, or big cards, rather, in front of big crowds. The Missouri heavyweight champion was for years, uh, even though the title was only based out of St. Louis, was the stepping stone to the NWA world title. If you could go to St. Louis, win the Missouri title, 
and do well with it there and draw with it, that was a major stepping stone to the NWA title. At various points, not only did all of the modern NWA champions hold that title first, but guys that were con in consideration for it that never quite made it, the Ted DiBiase's, the, um, was there one or two Von Erichs that held the Missouri title at various points? Did three Von Erichs hold the Missouri title? Kerry, Kevin, and David? I don't, did Kerry ever get it? Yeah, Kerry definitely Kerry got get it. it. I think, hold on, okay, let me look well, it up. <clears throat> well, while you're looking it up. Then also, there was the United States heavyweight title, not that the Sheik used, or not in uh, the any of the other territories, but the United States title that Vern Gagne held in the days of the Dumont Network in the early 50s, which was... At one point, because of the television exposure and the fact that the Chicago wrestling was the dominant network program, that title was not only seen as, but being marketed as potentially on par with the NWA world title. It was a very important belt that in the 50s was only held by Vern Gagne, Dick the Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder, the absolute top guys. Um, as when far they as other... Go ahead. When they brought the U.S. title back in 75, I think it was, they had that big tournament where they brought in Terry Funk and they brought in Harley Race, I think. They brought in different people from around the country. That was the debut. Was that the debut of Blackjack Mulligan? I think it was. That's He he gave notice. He and Lanza were... Did he give notice? Yeah. It, well, <laughs> well, no. He and, he and Lanza were tag team champions for Vince Sr., but he got yeah. the opportunity to go to work for George Scott in the Carolinas as a top baby face and saw the opportunity and took it and was wise to do so and was on top of the Carolinas for the next five years. But did he give notice? Um, I think he, no, I think he did tell him. I think he did tell him I'm leaving. And I, didn't they drop the belts? He did business, didn't he? Let me double check that. I'm, I'm not pretty, sure. I'm pretty sure they, I'm pretty sure that he did. Um, but they could, Lanza couldn't talk him out of it. I know that much. Uh, but it was a big spot as a major single star, but, and the United States title then that they started in, in the Carolinas that replaced the regional, more regional mid Atlantic title. And I think at one point they had the Eastern States, uh, heavyweight title or whatever, but yeah, you're right. They dropped them on the way out. Let me ask you yeah. this. And by the way, all three of the Von Eric, well, not all three, but the three main Von Erich brothers all held the Missouri State Championship. Where are you at with the discussion of, it was an old discussion, you don't really hear it anymore, but the U.S. title for Crockett versus the Missouri Championship being the most prestigious secondary title in the NWA. Well, and, and that's the thing is then it was two different things. The United States title they were using in the Carolinas, they were drawing huge money. They had... um a three-state territory with multiple markets that were capable of drawing 10,000 fans or more. The Missouri title was defended in St. Louis at the prestigious Keel Auditorium for Sam Muchnick, but he didn't have a territory. It was that title. It was, it was that town. It was a way to go and get over in St. Louis in the, the city that had been the seat not only of NWA wrestling, but St. Louis in the 40s was probably, St. Louis and Toronto were the two dominant cities for pro wrestling in North America because of the fucking incredible tear that Bill Longson went on 
where he never main evented a fucking show in St. Louis through World War II that drew less than 10,000 people. But it was still only for money for box office. You went and you made a fortune in one night, considering the you know standards of the time, working a main event in St. Louis, but in the Carolinas as the U.S. champion, you were every night, you were in Greensboro and Charlotte and Roanoke and Richmond and Norfolk and big buildings. So it was a better spot for a wrestler. All right, Jim, we've received several questions about John Moxley's recent quotes. Oh, good Lord. I'm trying to see where they are. They're, they're from do, a, the, do, do they have subtitles in English where you can understand them? Well, they're from a Sports Illustrated article. I have it here. But the headlines going around several places. John Moxley says that the BCC versus Elite feud is, quote, the absolute apex of pro wrestling. Wait a minute, is that, uh, is that a new plumbing company? He's starting Apex Plumbing? Or is that, I've seen like an Apex Septic Tank pumping company. Is that what, because, wait a minute, let me get the dictionary out, because I must have the wrong definition of Apex. Um, hold on here, Armstrong Architecture Arboretum. Apex. Appear. Aha, I'm closing in on it. Apart, apathy, aperture, apex, the highest point, the peak. Yeah. So he... When Rocky got to the top of the stairs. <laughs> so let me get this straight. A balding plumber, wheeler useless, poor misused Brian Danielson, and the now mute... Claudio Castagnoli against the EVPs and do they have a fourth guy on their side and who would it be? Takeshita. There you go. That's better than Cody and Brock, Reigns and Cody. I don't know. Let's go through history. Flair and Steamboat, <laughs> fucking Hart and Austin, Midnight Rock and Roll. This is the apex. This is not even... Is he saying is it, it well it's it's even drivel and ridiculous that he would say that it's as good as wrestling is now when wrestling most wrestling is the shit's now to begin with but it's not even as good now as other shit that's going on that's better in a bad period of wrestling What is he just if, does he think if people hear this from him they will just automatically believe it does he not care that he comes off looking like a fucking obnoxious, egotistical idiot? Or why would you say something that ridiculous? I'm attempting to find uh, the isolated part of this where he says the quote. There's a lot of quotes in this. Oh, here it is. It's actually the last thing in the uh, the fluff article here. I, I figure after he said that, everybody fainted dead away from fucking astonishment, and he uh, they all went home. The BCC versus the Elite? This rivalry is the absolute apex of professional wrestling right now. <clears throat> We're going to have a great crowd, and we have the steel cage. It's got all the ingredients for a really oh. memorable night. And of course, how can you have great pro wrestling without trying to stab other people in the faces with screwdrivers? And are they going to have a cage match? Yeah, they are. Wednesday. Him, yeah. him and Twinkle Toes are going to get in a cage, and Twinkle Toes will be whistling Stranger in Paradise. And Moxley will pull out the entire contents of the fucking 
Schick razor blade factory, and they'll just have a fun old time. Well, here's a quote, Jim, from the article talking about his history with Kenny Omega. At the time, I'm not going to do his voice. At the time, Kenny was known as the best wrestler in the world. I was coming By off, who? I was coming off fucking off from WWE. So I was in the news and people wanted to see what I was going to do. I was a hot name. He was a hot name. We'd never entered each other's universes before. On the first show, we've got all these incendiary ingredients lined up. Jericho, a TV deal, the Young Bucks, and then the real explosive fuel was me and Kenny at Double or Nothing. Wait a minute, have they wrestled before? I've forgotten about it. That's where the match Did got lit. Did we have lit. to watch that? That's where the match got lit, and we set it ablaze. It was the spark that ignited the whole blaze that is AEW. And four years later, it's coming back around again. It feels really good. It feels like where we should be. You know, when you read his comments in a normal voice. It doesn't. Yeah, it sounds insane. (laughs) If you like, because a normal person doesn't speak like that. And who has convinced this guy that he is that good? I mean, I can see some people with lower standards going, ah, oh, he's all right. But how could anybody have convinced him that he is this big megastar and this great wrestler and this incredible box office attraction? Who has told him that? And how can we get them a phone call with better help? Well, I'm scanning this article. As I said, a lot of quotes here. The BCC is real. It's only been around for a year. But those guys have been my partners for like 10 years. I don't have many close friends what, in the useless? business. Danielson and Claudio, those two are on the list of his friends in the business. Uh. They're best friends, training partners, and I've spent so much time in the ring with them. The only difference was, back then, it was the opposite side. of the- Well, he's just rambling here at this point. Well, they're pitching fluff articles again to Sports <laughs> Illustrated. What does that say? Again. Who, even if you think that you are that good, who talks like that? It's, unless you're a heel in gimmick, who actually comes out? Oh yeah, I'm I'm the greatest thing. The apex. I mean, he went to rehab. At some point, don't they sit you down and make you look at yourself realistically and what your strengths, weaknesses, good points, faults, whatever are? How can he legitimately believe? How can he look in the mirror? How can he watch himself on videotape? Does he not see that ridiculously underdeveloped body, the pale flesh, the lack of fucking hair on the top of his head, the fucking lack of quality work, the lack of psychology, the fucking... Lack of bladesmanship. I'm glad that he didn't decide to become the next sleight of hand artist. Uh, You know, fucking Chris Angel has nothing to worry about. But what is it that he thinks that he does well? Because we can't find it. Again, he's very popular personality-wise with a lot of the AEW fans and the Observer readers. They voted him Wrestler of the Year. (laughs) 
uh, at one point. Because they're all eight years old, and they how when they come in the room, I'll be badass and yeah. I'll beat everybody up. How is it? How does it go? I'll be on the apex like Stallone in Cliffhanger, and then I'll fall off the apex. Well, I'm I'm glad that he has a wonderful opinion about his work and his spot in the community. All right, Jim. Well, let's get a few more questions and get the hell out of here, Jim. This wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. You hear that, don't you? What do you have, gas? Wild card, bitches. Watch your mouth. I've got something for you here. Uh oh. A surprise guest the program. Because I have done another trade with another individual. Thank you, Joe Musoff, up there in where you are. <laughs> I don't want to give you any clues. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up there and where you are, because I don't want to give you any clues, but I have a guess the program. Are you ready to take the challenge of identifying the year and the location of this card after hearing the participants on it? Yeah, of course. This is always fun. All right. The opening contest. A guy whose first name is not recorded named Murhoff versus Mike Boyer. And at first I thought, wait a minute, because it's they're only giving first names on the lineup, but I read in the other place in the program, this was indeed Mike Boyette, but he was a young star at this time, had not taken the Boyette name yet, and his real name, he used it in Memphis in 1979 also briefly, was spelled B-O-W-Y-E-R, Mike Boyer, in the first match against Murhoff. A bonus match... Big Luke versus Jack Daniels. <laughs> okay. The semi windup. The mighty Igor versus the big K. A special attraction handicap match. The Crusher versus Larry Hennig and Harley Race. And in the main event, Billy Red Lions versus dr x okay i didn't expect it to go where it went after uh murtaugh or whoever yeah. you said it was <laughs> against mike boyer um but then moose you said moose cholak against mighty igor no no i didn't i said mighty igor versus the big k the big k stan kowalski sorry to associate moose cholak with stan kowalski well, either uh, one would have been offended if that's they'd what heard I it, mean. That's what they're I mean. both dead. What was the main event again? Billy Red Lions versus Doctor X. I'm gonna. Uh, what was this? The the wind up. Well, the semi wind the semi wind up was Igor and Big K, but then the special attraction was the Crusher in a handicap match against Hennig and Race. Okay, so I'm going to go, I'm going to guess 1968. It's either an AWA town or Chicago, which technically wasn't an AWA town. It was split between Dick the Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder, and Vern Gagne. It would either, it would either be just me guessing a random AWA town, and I don't know if that would have been a St. Paul or a, a big main event there. I'm going to go with Chicago 68. Well, you talked yourself out of it. You almost had it. September 21, 1968, 
you bastard. St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, man. You talked yourself out of it. I this was not a Chicago card. I should have known that it wasn't a Chicago card, but the crusher kind of... I don't even know why that would have changed the way I thought. Yeah, you would have gone yeah. to Milwaukee. See, I thought the, the crusher and Hennigan race is the one that gave it away because the first three, eh, and Billy Redlines and Dr. X could have been the the era you got, but it could have been anywhere. But the, um, the problem is in my head, I heard Moose Cholak for whatever reason that pushed me to Chicago. Well, and then also, I thought you were you would be pushed to Milwaukee because it it the whole program does not explain why that the Crusher is in a handicap match with both Hennig and Race when Hennig and Race were about to win the tag team either had lost it earlier in the year or were about to win it from Mitsu Arakawa and Mister Moto. But uh, they were a top tag team, obviously, of the era, so the handicap match had some gimmick to it that the program doesn't describe. But uh, yes, Mike Boyer, as a rookie, uh, Stan the Big K Kowalski, when he was young, he would have had to have been only in his late 40s at that point. <laughs> and Dr. X, for the folks who... Yeah, that's how I knew 60... That's how I knew 68, by the way. Well, yeah, because that was the thing, is that Dr. X was Dick Byer, the Destroyer. But for whatever reason, when he went to the AWA, and he even got, he beat Vern for the belt, uh, I think a month previous to this, in St. Paul, and then dropped it back pretty quickly afterwards. But uh, for whatever reason, Destroyer became Dr. X when he went to the AWA. And that, uh, do we know why? Has anybody ever said why? He said why, and I don't remember why. I, that's what I was going to say. If you, if he said why, why? Does anybody remember? I'm sure Mike Tanay would know why. He was like the biggest you know what? fan ever. No, you know what? Was it a deal where they were, they were either talking about doing a mask match or taking the mask off of him or something? He said, I'm not going to risk the Destroyer because the Destroyer was so over in Japan. He didn't want to risk Destroyer getting bad publicity or press or whatever or being unmasked so he did something else something like that you know what if that's the case is that the first example of a wrestler worried about their booking in america how it would affect them in japan i don't know if it had been the first one because the the by the late 60s i think that was ingrained in everybody is that you know you want to go to japan they're going to pay well it's an experience but you know, you've got to keep an eye on your... But at the same time, the Destroyer was over in California and Toronto and a variety of places in this country. I think he was protecting the Destroyer anywhere rather than just the Destroyer in Japan. Well, one final question here, Jim, uh, I think this week. This one was sent via the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. We'll try to get through more emails next week here on the show. From Terry... Tumbarello would Brad you are completely just making these up now this week I'm not making them up I mean you could accuse these people of making them up I don't know but would Brad Armstrong have made a better horseman than Paul Roma well Paul Roma wasn't a real horseman anyway come on seriously um I'm not trying to get on tumbleweed there but that was during the mid-90s WCW, you know, fucking limbo where they were just trying anything. It, there wasn't even really a horseman group at that point that meant anything, and they make Paul Roma... It, oh, the horseman 
ran from 1985 to 1988, and anybody who was in the group from that period of time can call themselves an ex-horseman, which would be Flair, Tully, Arn, Ole, Luger, Wyndham, and JJ. And that's where it ends, except for, you know, just shit that didn't work years later. So if, if Brad, as Brad would not have made a good four horsemen because he wasn't part of their group, as we talked about earlier in the show. That's what made it because they were hanging out together, all except for Ole. Ole was in it on reputation at the start because he was involved in the the tag team. Well, but plus he was close with Flair, at least in the 70s. Well, yes, but I mean, but in, in all honesty, you know, Ole was in that group because he was still involved in the tag team with Arn. He was on the the closing period of his in-ring career, and he didn't go out and party with the guys, and he didn't fit the horseman picture, but because it was Ole Anderson, you you know, he was a name. You would take him in any group, but then Wyndham fit better, Luger fit better, but Brad, you know, he he was a great babyface. I'm not saying he couldn't have been a heel, but he didn't fit the, the in-ring style or the out-of-the-ring style of the horseman. Brad should have definitely, I think, been used better than what he was in a lot of places because of what a brilliant talent he was, but I don't see him as a horseman. Who do you see? And I do think Paul Roma, unfortunately, gets a bad rap because he was really good. And he really broke out in power and glory with Hercules in uh, 1990. Okay, well... It's just he wasn't the guy for that role. And yeah, that, that, that poisoned that's, the well. I wasn't saying Paul Roma didn't... I didn't say Paul Roma stunk. I said Paul Roma wasn't a real horseman and nobody... And the rest of them that they tried when they tried to reenact it or revamp it or whatever, it, no... Um, that's not say he should be set on fire or shot into space on the fucking space shuttle. But no, he wasn't a horse. Uh, Jim, I have another, uh, before we go, I said that was the last question. You lied. I lied. I apologize. Apparently Sports Illustrated working overtime. Another article. This one has Kenny Omega quotes. If I'm being honest, the MVP of AEW hasn't been me. It's John Moxley. Oh, for God's sake. For AEW, John's been the one. He's been in almost every show. He's well, wait a minute. I asked earlier who's been telling this fucking clown that he's so good. Apparently, this other fucking clown. He's been in almost every show. He's bled at almost every show. <laughs> <laughs> there is no one higher on the blood-giving list. Maybe that's what makes this feud so interesting. It's someone with the notoriety from Japan against someone who was a top player from WWE. And John hasn't stopped working. I was injured, but now that I'm healed up, it's beautiful that we can restart the song and dance between Kenny Omega and John Moxley. We can restart the song and dance. So you got this guy over here. He's the fucking Bob Fosse of wrestling. And you got the other guy is the goddamn... Fucking Gigi Jeffrey Allen Dahmer, Jeffrey Bob Dahmer Fossey. of wrestling. He wants to drink everybody's blood and eat their bones, and the other guy wants to fucking dance with him and fucking have a tea party. What the? F we make a good combo. I have I have no response to Kenny Olivier there and his 
comments. Who would you say is the MVP of AEW since the beginning? Since the very beginning? Yeah, taking everything into account. Well, Punk obviously wasn't there from the beginning. Punk came in, did business, got hurt, and got run off by the, you know, jealous children. But again, for that in, one year, record gates, for that record one crowds, year, record you know, ratings. Everything was everything was great. Everything he did was was positive and drew and performed. MJF has been a tremendous performer from the start of the thing till now. Uh, at the same point, before he really got the ability to say no, apparently he had to do the song and dance thing with Jericho, and that drug him down quite a bit just that whole program, but still he's been tremendous. I'd like to say FTR, they've been consistently the best in-ring workers, but their booking has been so horrible. They've been a non-factor in drawing any money anywhere except against the Briscoes on other people's shows. I, can you have none of the above as an MVP? I guess. I mean, someone's going to vote for someone. Well, but... Put in none of the above and see how many people vote for none of the above. Because who, through the whole thing, has been there and has, say again? Chris Jericho. But I was about to say, who through the whole thing has been there and has performed at a high level and all of their shit has exceeded expectations? Now you take that name back, don't you? I do. MJF. He may be the closest one. I mean, he's had clunkers, but in terms of the quality Usually of his Usually it wasn't work, his fault. <laughs> no, but, but his matches have never been bad, and nope. the quality of his work, even in some of the bad stuff, has been good since the beginning. Cody, man, it's almost like Cody's strongest stuff was before AEW started, in a sense. Like, before the official television show started, and then they found a way to run him off. Yeah, well, and still, I think the best pro wrestling match, not modern style, but pro wrestling match, that... AEW ever had was Cody and Dustin still to this day so but his best stuff was beforehand because then like you've said a million times when you got Cody on that television show with the rest of the people that couldn't keep up it was it didn't work it, it they didn't fit what about Jade Cargill for MVP <laughs> or Britt Baker oh God. and not even because they because what Exactly how many tickets has Jane Cargill sold to an AEW event besides to her immediate family? Because what has she ever been advertised in that would, maybe I got to go to see just that. She comes out, she wins because it must be in her contract. She's never in program. She's never booked in main event matches or in key things on pay-per-views. She's television programming that apparently Tony wants to keep her happy. So he never asked her to put anybody over. It means nothing now, though, because what the fuck? Hey, Jim, one more question before we get out of here. This one was sent in on the Cult of Cornet Facebook group from Jeff Hood. Any memories of working at Notre Dame in Indiana? We did not get many shows up here. Okay, short question. Uh, short answer, no, I don't think I have. <laughs> All right, well, there's your question, Maybe, Jeff. Now, here's the thing. I would have to go through my WWF-era books from 
say 95 to 99 to make sure, but I don't think I've ever been on a show there. You know, we have so many questions from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. Let's try to really quick blow through several in under two minutes, all right? Sure. Have you been officially, this is from Adam Craven. Have you been officially served on the Rockacon lawsuit? No, I have not, but I'm waiting with bated breath with my napkin already tucked into my shirt. This is from Jason Adams. What was worse for the wrestling business, Vince McMahon invading the territories or the internet and dirt sheets? Um, Vince McMahon and the internet. The dirt sheets were for a, if you want to use the term, newsletters, were for a specific audience that sought them out. They weren't, it wasn't casual fans being slapped in the face with them and forced to read them. Uh, but the internet accomplished that. And then Vince disrupting the ecosystem of wrestling was the the worst thing that happened to the industry as far as not just being ex exposed, but being ruined. This one's from Isaac Gresser. Was wrestling broadcast on radio before television? If so, how was it presented differently for the radio crowd? Yes, it was, and it was presented differently because they couldn't see it. What? How the fuck else? What? <laughs> The announcer still said, well, Fez has a headlock on Strangler Lewis, but you just couldn't fucking see it. All right, Jim, from Angel Flores, what are some of your favorite Twilight Zone episodes? Time Enough at Last, To Serve Man. Um, oh, my gosh. I, I, obviously, uh, It's a Good Life with Billy Moomy. Uh, so many of them, but and and also the the Howling Man is an underrated one, where the traveler lost in the mountains comes to the monastery and is given refuge there from the horrible weather, and then falls prey to the sob story of the man that's locked inside the cell, and he lets him loose, and then realizes that he has indeed let the devil loose upon the world again. This course has then was after in the days after World War II, the monastery had locked the devil up and he couldn't perpetrate his evil anymore. But after he was let out, then this guy had to go on a fucking search all around the world to find and recapture the howling man. Jim Nathan Steele would like to know, ask Jim if he remembers the preacher praying that Jesus would stone cold stunner the devil during the invocation at Paul Lee's Wrestle Jam several years back. Any other real Nature Boy Paulie stories would be great as okay, well. Okay, well, when you started that at first, I was like, that's a whole lot of words I recognize, but what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> and then when you said Paulie, I thought you meant Paulie dangerously, but no, Paul Lee, Nature Boy Paul Lee. Um, Paul Lee was a, a guy from Georgia that actually worked did some jobs in the early days of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, some of my TVs, and he has been running his hometown intermittently for the past several years. I've been down there to one of his shows, and he has somewhat of a following down there. He gained like 50 pounds of muscle. He was a little skinny thing when he did jobs for me, and then last time I saw him, he was fucking... Um, he looked enormous. So, uh, But what was the question now? The question was, ask Jim if he remembers the preacher praying that Jesus would stone-cold stunner the devil during the invocation at Paul Lee's Wrestle Jam several years back. Okay, well, I went to one of the shows, 
And I know that after the national anthem, they started doing some kind of praying. And I was out at the gimmick table, and I didn't want people to think that I was in favor of or lending my approval to having a prayer out in public before a wrestling show. So I didn't listen to it and went in the back. Jim, you are not a religious man, but if you're going with the idea that Jesus Christ needs to deliver a finishing move on the devil that would be the ultimate finisher, would you go with the Stone Cold Stunner? I think I'd have to go with the crucifix, wouldn't you? <laughs> See, that's awful. It I, worked. Know, I set you up you perfectly, know, and it's horrible. It <laughs> it worked on him. I would think he would have learned it and learned a new hold and used it on others. Who was the last guy to win a big match with the crucifix? Oh, God. well, you know, a crucifix can also, that's another name for a backslide. Those are still fairly common. Well, it's a specific the, kind of... Well, the regular crucifix is the arm up over the arm and the leg up over the leg right. and you go sideways. But there's still, I've, I've heard the backslide termed crucifix. So you never know. What do you it's think a variation. Ke- what do you think of Kerry Von Erich winning the world title with a backslide? Um, if I was Flair, I'd rather take the backslide and one, two, three than the fucking claw and have to fucking <laughs> just pass out from a guy squeezing my head. Jim, our final question from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group from Derek Everhart. Oh, what? come on now. Hey, Derek. Oh my God. That is funny. That is funny considering the question. What do you think? I of don't Je- care if you are ever hard. I still don't like you. Well, it's ever hard, but his question was, what do you think of Jericho saying Hogan was a better worker than Flair? When did he say that? I will find the quote right now. Hold on. Give your initial thoughts, uh, please. Well, my initial thoughts are Jericho must think that he lives close to Hogan and Flair lives hundreds of miles away. So he wants to be nicer to Hogan. I don't fucking know. Hulk Hogan was a good worker athletically physically he was a great worker psychologically but nobody can compare i would and and you can say what you want about who was your favorite and we know that hogan drew more money because he was in the bigger company but can anybody ever say that hulk hogan was better inside the ring as a performer than rick flair with a straight face that's insane as a performer is different than as a wrestler, as a worker. Uh, well, as a, it, it depends on, as I just said, what kind of working, but just to make a blanket statement that Hogan was a better worker than Flair and the connotation that that would give, he's trying to suck up to Hogan for some reason, Jericho is. I'm just not sure what. Well, I have an article here. It says that apparently on his show, he was doing a watch along of a, uh, of, I guess just the WWF watch along old stuff. With Brian Alvarez and Vincent Verhey from the Figure Four website, and here's what Jericho said about Hogan and Flair: "Quote, I will say to this day, and people will bag. Here's a clickbait: Hogan is a better worker than Flair. For me, I always had amazing matches with Hogan because he knew exactly who he was as a babyface, as a heel, whatever." He was so great. He knew his audience. He didn't do anything he didn't have to do. It was one of my favorite times of my career. Here's another thing about Hogan. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Let me interject. So what he's saying is, yeah, Hogan was easy. He didn't want to take any bumps. He didn't want to give any bumps. He didn't want to go too fast. He didn't want to work too hard. And he didn't want to chop me. Here's another great thing about Hogan. Like, you don't even think about it. (laughs) 
But the dude had like a super receding hairline. But no one ever really noticed it back then. What? <laughs> we wait, all wait, did, nobody but you noticed didn't. it. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you may have been only like eight or ten years old, but no, everybody noticed it even then. That with the jokes about Hogan's hair have been around almost as long as Jericho. Well, maybe explain what Jericho does with his hair, but but no one ever really noticed it back then. We all did, but you didn't. No, the fans talked about it. <laughs> so did the heels every now and then. Yeah. But no one ever really noticed. Uh, it's just Hogan, right? Like, it's weird. He's like America's hero with no hair now. That would never go. He'd put a toupee on or something. So there are the thoughts of Chris Jericho, who... A uh, nice crossover event with the Observer website on his show. Well, yeah, I was about to say, wait a minute, is that some kind of conflict of interest if they're covering AEW as journalists with an impartial view, but they got one of their stars on the program? Uh, no. One would think if if Uncle Dave and his little cousin Brian weren't hey. so trustworthy, one would think that there's something going on there that would make them bias toward one company or the other. But we we can't say that because they're very trustworthy. To look at this with some merit before we wrap things up, the idea that Hogan is as good, let's just go with as good a worker as Flair. Can you make the argument that because it's a different style of wrestling altogether, that it may be true? I mean, to what Jericho is actually saying here, Hogan did exactly what Hogan should. Like, Hogan shouldn't have been out there working like Eddie Guerrero or something, right? Right, right. Flair did what Flair should do. It was perfect for Ric Flair. He worked like Ric Flair. Exactly. So, I mean, in a sense, obviously, Hogan wasn't working Ric Flair-style matches. Very few were, especially in the 80s. It's influenced everything since. But to that point, can you argue that Hogan, in terms of being perfect as Hulk Hogan in the ring, doing everything he needs to do, was as good a worker? <sighs> You know, I've described Gunther like that, that he does everything that Gunther should do. He works like himself, but his shit also looks good. Hogan was a good psychologist, great psychologist. He could get the people up and down because he had the, he had the, uh, honestly, the, the benefit of having the big Vince's promotional machine behind him. But when he got in the ring, he had to sell he had to do the promos, got the people with him. He had to make the comeback and wag the finger. That was all great, but his stuff looked like shit. And it was literally the, the same thing 10 years earlier as when Stone Cold was so over and his promos were great and he looked like a million dollars and his matches were incredible. But when he'd stomp the shit out of you in the corner, they looked like shit. But people didn't see it because it was Austin and he was over. Hogan, almost everything he did in the WWF looked like shit in the matches. You can find his stuff in Japan or some of his early stuff in the AWA where he's having good matches, but he had given that up by then. Vince didn't want him to get hurt, and he didn't want to get hurt. And on those hard rings, but it was eight minutes and back rake and bad-looking punches he did everything right, but the shit that he was doing looked like shit, which is why I cannot, I can say he might have been a better psychologist. He was even more over. 
Might have been at some points a better promo, but he wasn't a better worker than Ric Flair. All right, well, that's the uh, final word, and I guess it's fitting that the final question about Chris Jericho was from a Derek, of all things. Hey, fuck you, Derek. Let's get one song and get out of here. Uh, it won't be this one. <laughs> I'll, I'll just read this description. Here's a song submission, but it's not funny. It's a depressing Elliot Smith-sounding thing about how much I hate the Young Bucks. It's called West Coast Bummer LTD. Unless there's some sort of case where you guys need a downer, it'll just grind the podcast to a sad halt. So I completely understand if you don't use it. So is that the first time that somebody has sent us a song and said, but really, you don't want to play this because it's fucking sad. Well, let's hear how sad it is. Now I'm intrigued. Here's okay. a song from uh, Billy Yost, a.k.a. the Corny Crows theme guy. And it says the browser can't play this. <laughs> you sent it in a format that I can't play on this right now, Billy. So next time, let's go to this one. Sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from Andrew in Dublin, Ireland. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I can't sleep at night. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. The medicine is not working, but I am still here because I am a man. I once had a fight, or should I say, it once had me. <laughs> ah, Texas death match, isn't it good? John Moxley's blood. He asked for a blade from the ref, and he started to kick. <laughs> the camera zoomed in on his face, he looked like a stuck pig. I sat on the mat, biding my time, nursing my spine. We bled a gusher, Giovanni said, what has just said? And he told me to burn anywhere So I looked around and I noticed there wasn't a fire After he tapped out, I was alone, drinking his bones <laughs> Then I fucked his wife, isn't it good? John Moxley's blood <laughs> I do take a lot of pride in, in the booking. <laughs> well, very good. From Andrew in Dublin, Ireland. Where, where's my deal here? Hold on here a second. I've lost my deal. There we go. Just amazing. All right, and with that, the drive-thru is closed. Here's my deal. You know, the other one's better. This one... The pentatonic one is better. And uh, you know what I did get? <laughs> Hold on. Where is this thing? I got so excited about this. I hope the kids didn't steal it yet. Oh, oh my God. What the hell have you done? It's an Acme Siren. Oh, gee. oh Jesus. Give somebody a warning before you do that. That went right through me. All right. Well, I was trying, trying to... 
conjure up some Bob Dylan-like spirits here. Of course, the drive-thru will return next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts and the Jim Cornette Experience this coming Monday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Go through the archives today, patreon.com slash cornette. For $5 a month, you get access to the archive going back to 2013, patreon.com slash cornette. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Subscribe today. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. Full episodes clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Eckle artwork, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at TheJimCornette. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the Wrestling News. Every day, your free daily wrestling newscast Every morning, get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Cornette's Collectibles at jimcornette.com. What's going on, Jim? They know what to do. At jimcornette.com. The drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888 692 8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until the Jim Cornette experience, and next week right back here on the drive-thru for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bomb fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pino, everybody. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, 
Jim Cornette, and the great Brian Lass. <laughs>